Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Hot D, the officially unofficial podcast for House of the Dragon on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're back with season one, episode six, feedback episode. Uh, Aaron, I hear the feedback is just overfilled this week. Hey, again, it's not, I don't know if we'll ever get to season seven, season eight Game of Thrones where we're getting a thousand messages <laughs> a week, but we got yeah. just under 250. I just counted. I've got 38 here in my doc. I doubt we'll even get to read all those. Apologies if I didn't get your email, but uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to represent thoughts and opinions more than individual people, and and, and I hope I'm doing a pretty good job of that. Uh, but you know, I I read, you decide. Hot D at baldmove.com is how you run the gauntlet. Is how you one man Damon the Targaryen your way into the show. Uh, <laughs> hope you have dragons air support. First up is Vanessa from San Jose, California. Who says, I was listening to your feedback episode today, specifically the discussion around Kristen and Raina's close relationship, and couldn't help but thinking about the choices the showrunners have made in terms of aging or de-aging their characters or playing with the initial timeline events and how that changes our own opinions of the major characters on the chessboard. For example, I think it's important to note that Sir Kristen had already been a member of the royal court for seven years at the beginning of the show, a fact that the showrunners had changed. When Sir Kristen first appeared on the scene, it was at the tourney at Maidenpool at 104 AC at 22 years of age. Rhaenyra was just seven. During the tournament, he wore the princess's favor and presented her with the victor's laurel. Shortly after that, he was appointed her sworn shield by Viserys. How different would we, the viewers, view the seduction scene, let alone the whole context of their relationship, had we seen that it began when she was unquestionably a child? How different would we see Sir Kristen himself and his ulterior motives? Additionally, Alicent's only 11 years Viserys' junior. They married when she was 18 and Viserys was 29. Rhaenyra was just nine years old at the time. And Rhaenyra was, in fact, named heir by Viserys after her mother's death when she was just eight. Again, the choices of the showrunners to make the two women closer in age changes their dynamic. Do you think the showrunners' decision to change the time frame of these characters first met each other by over seven years has led to a better overall show? Could they have started the show at 104 AC rather than 111 AC and still have gotten to the Dance of Dragons by episode six? Um, I don't know that we're still got to the Dance of the Dragons yet, but what is your impression? Um, I, I think most of these changes have been wholly good and have led to more interesting character mm-hmm. dynamics. But what do you think? I think definitely I would have viewed it differently. Sure. If you've got Kristen Cole uh, being romanced by a like apparently 13 year old Rhaenyra that's different than like an 18 ish year old Rhaenyra especially since she's been hanging out with him as his swords for like seven eight years leading up to that yeah yeah there's a lot of uh weird grooming opportunity going on there but sure sure. yeah it, it definitely would have been different um and it's probably for the better I think like having 
the younger kids with some sense of agency as opposed to being basically like still on their parents teeth at some point right like geez nine years old um i think that's done a lot of good for the show i i feel like they've been characters the entire time with like i said their own agency not just not just uh children yeah i think um a lot of times germ George writes characters more based on the ages they are in the historical inspirations. Yeah, um, of course. And like, you know, that goes like the Stark children were all aged up considerably in the first Game of Thrones series because mm-hmm. I don't think that people were, were ready to see a 13-year-old John be sent to the wall and be leader of men. Like, we're just not... It it, it 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 starts a whole bunch of conversations that George really is not intending. He's just like, hey, you know, 12 and 13 year olds used to hold these important positions. Uh, you know, we used to marry, you know, betrothed eight year olds, the 45 year olds. And, you know, that's just how that his universe rolls. And I think the showrunners wisely don't want to, you know, have a bunch of people wondering about all these things, you know, they want them to wonder about the things that they're wondering about. So they, and and also I think mm-hmm. it's a hundred million percent better that Rhaenyra and Alicent were BFFs growing up at the same age and mm-hmm. going through the same things and kind of like palling around together and giggling about boys and maybe questioning about their own relationship and feel, I think that's a hundred percent better than what we get in the book, which is Alicent is just this kind of, you know, Ice Queen always hated Rhaenyra, uh, always sees her as a threat, very little, you know, dimensionality. She's just kind of, she doesn't have a mustache to twirl, but if she did, she'd certainly be twirling it. So, yeah. Yeah, the Viserys one is interesting. Why did they make him seem so much older? Because he never seemed like 29 to me, ever. He's always felt like he's at least 40. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's fair. And I think that's also intentional that, um, you know, they wanted to have this guy. They they definitely wanted it to feel creepy that he picks, you know, his 15 year old girl as his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still would have felt creepy if he's 29. Right. To moder- But like, I think him being manifestly you know, Rhaenyra's father rather than potentially older brother, you know, just, just heightens it. So again, the showrunners, they lean into the things that they want us to find icky and they, uh, lean away from the things that they don't want us to think is icky or for the reasons that we do. And, you know, as a bonus, they're able to plausibly have these arch rivals as we see them now be best friends, which is just so much more interesting than if she just always, you know, they always kind of hated each other. So, Mm -hmm. Um, Gabe says once Rhaenyra became married and realized Cole and the queen had formed an alliance why not out him as having betrayed his oath of celibacy her new hubby certainly wouldn't give two dragon shits about her not being pure and they're already married so there's no take backsies uh, just say she did the deed with him and he's removed from court right Jim Ooh, your, what's your analysis I don't think that would reflect very well on her uh, as someone who's already like dubiously <laughs> on thin ice is the air um, with the realm. I don't know that that does her any favors. I think it's dangerous. Yeah, I find that this la- a lot of times when people say this stuff, it lacks holistic analysis. Um, Lenor might not give a shit, but what does House Valerian think about this insult? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then per, and then what do the other lords feel about House Valerian? And how does the realm feel about the Targaryens and Valerians as a result? Like, there's a lot yeah. to consider here. And on the your Kristen Cole aspect of it, I think they did enough for us to see and put together for ourselves what the defense was. It's he's the sworn shield of this person. This person offered a grave insult to both her husband and to herself. He pulled a sword on the king's guard and there that's 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 it. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, we saw an, an innocent man get beat to death, but like what the realm saw was you know, uh, like like the Secret Service pulling a gun and shooting somebody and saying, "Hey, it was a threat." Yeah, you know, it's and then it turns out the guy closed. did actually have a gun. You know, he actually did have a dagger, and everyone yeah. saw him pull it. And you know, uh, and then the, then then the the aggrieved parties, the most aggrieved party, Lanor, would have an immense amount of pressure put on him to not make a big deal out of this because, come on, son, what do you what the fuck? This is already dangerous enough. You want to. You know, put a giant blinking red target from the very beginning. Um, mm-hmm. You know, make Viserys choose a side. You know, because that's always dangerous. Like, what? You know, he maybe he tells the queen to get fucked. Maybe he decides to geld and behead this guy, or you know, who, who knows? Um, and the other thing is, like, also like the other thing I think that people don't understand is like Rhaenyra and Viserys in their official, you know, capacities as king and princess and all that. It's I mean, a lot of people say like, oh, yeah, the the dragons can do whatever they want, but like they can't. They have responsibilities to the realm and to their own houses and to what people think is right or wrong. I mean, like I said, they got money, power and influence. They can do ultimately whatever they want. But if they do that too much and all the time, it will weaken not only themselves, but their position. And then they are vulnerable and then they can't do anything they want because they'll get deposed. So. You always have to think of things in terms of how rigid the society is and how it views these roles. And with the more power, the more responsibility. And you have to balance all that stuff. That's what I mean by, like I said, you got to take a holistic 360 degree look at all these situations. Max from San Francisco says, I'm wondering if I'm the only person who sees this Aegon prophecy about the White Walkers as a bunch of baloney. In our own world, every monarch has had some spiritual propaganda about why they had to be the ones in power, from the mandate of heaven used by the Chinese emperors to the divine right of Christian European kings. And if you think the Targaryen justification is different because they're keeping it to themselves, well, the secret history of the Mongols has all kinds of omens and prophecies about where Genghis Khan achieved greatness. Obviously made up stuff like one of his ancestors being a wolf. I mean... I, I I haven't seen the Khan's great great grandfather. Who's to say he's not a great wolf of the steps? I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> sure. uh, I think we should give I should we give the Khan some latitude. He knows his family better than we. Uh, it was called a secret, obviously, because it was intended for the nobles of the house and not for common folk or outsiders. This doesn't mean the characters shouldn't take it seriously, but we as the audience should be skeptical. I think the fans debating the minutia of how it's passed down to this or that generation of Targaryen are missing the point. Because especially it's not true according to the show. Well, so I think what they're getting at is a Targaryen must always be on the throne to protect and unite the realm. That's the untrue part. Okay. Yeah. That's the untrue part. But like there is such a huge asterisk and massive grain of salt taken for everything in season seven and season eight. Um, Mm -hmm. Germ has all but come out and said that's not how it's going to happen. 
there it it very well me, might be that Bran sits on the throne, but the sequence of Arya stabbing the Night King, who is not an actual character as of yet in the books, um, and and where you know there's just a lot there's a lot that remains to be seen. So I think we can pay attention to this because a lot of this is George, and we know this from preseason interviews with Ryan Connell Sapochnik. A lot of this is George trying to put his hand back on the tiller and redirect lore where he thinks it's going to go with his books that he hasn't bothered to write yet. So <laughs> right. it, it's hard. It's hard to judge. Hard to judge at this point. Yeah, especially because we know the prophecy generally is true. Uh, whether you need all the details to be in place as the Targaryens see them is up for debate, I suppose. Um, but, you know, the story we have so far, barring whatever George is going to write, is one of that prophecy being pretty much right. So, I mean, yeah, there is. A it's big, hard to look at it and say, there, well, these guys did this and did they have to do that? Well, no, but yeah. it worked out because they did it so yeah yeah there are there is a long night coming there are ice zombies mm-hmm. uh, they will defeat them uh and there, yeah, there will it's... be dragons involved and there will be the targaryens prominently in the blood of old valeria prominently involved mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that they got going for and that's even just going off of what we see in the show which is yeah. not 100 you know the long night in the show lasts about 45 minutes mm-hmm <laughs> you know, it's a long it, prophecy. It's kind of a short night. I've had longer up. nights. I've had uh-huh. much longer nights than that. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's move on to Deeb. Says, I have a basic piece of his or feedback regarding Damon. A good amount of your commentary about him involves questions about his planning and attention. Sentences to start with Jim. What do you think Damon's goal was when he blankety blankety blank? I think this totally misses the point of Damon's character as he is pure chaos, not Littlefinger chaos. Even Littlefinger's chaos had some intentionality behind it to destabilize the situation that he can then exploit. I think Damon is is pure chaos and that it's anti-structure for its own sake. He doesn't think about what trouble he's going to cause before he causes it because he hates structure so much he has no interest in sticking around to claim whatever spoils that he might have gained through his destabilization. I don't think Damon wants to achieve or accumulate anything in this world because that would mean claiming positions of authority, lands, titles, etc. All these things are anathema to him because they would require him conforming to his system. Damon's not playing the Game of Thrones because a throne is a fixed thing and fixed things bore him. He's just a tornado born in a man's body. What do you think of this analysis, Jim? (laughs) I like that last line. That's pretty good. Uh... What do you think D's goal was when he sent this email? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I don't know because D is a, just a pure agent of chaos. Um, I, I, that's, hmm. I don't know. Anytime I look at a character, I assume that they have internal motivations, whether the motivation is petty or whether it's uh, forward looking or whether it's simply impulsive. I, Right. I don't think any character is just pure chaos. And and you can write a character as pure chaos. You can you can write like an archetype in in sort of like a, an old world gods kind of way, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's what he's doing here. I I really feel like Damon has motivations. It's just hard to decipher because like you said, he doesn't think about the consequences of his actions. He only thinks yeah. about the motivation like why i i don't i i want to do this thing for this reason and so i do it and then oops it spun out into 15 other things that i didn't yeah he lacks he lacks discipline 
Um, but he's still got motivations. His remember, motivation isn't chaos, right? That's that's yeah. not. He doesn't just want just want plans to go awry for everyone. Like remember when he was listening to the king's small council in his little secret tunnel, and Viserys made the statement that uh, Damon has no intentions for the throne because you know he's that's it's too much. And, <laughs> and Damon, what was him. his response? He smirks like, "Yeah, you think that, yeah. big brother." So. But like, what does Damon have? What it takes to stay focused on something long enough? Because he's got other competing desires too. He wants to sure. be loved and approved by his brothers. He wants to be seen as like his badass, mighty warrior. He wants to be seen as a dragon rider of old Valeria, who's meant for big important things and big important battles. He wants to bang his niece. Yeah. He wants to bang his niece. He <laughs> wants to be able to have a successful sexual, uh, you know, encounter without his noodle going limp. Uh, and with with the train arriving at the station, he's got all. Mm-hmm. These things that are raging inside of him, um, but very little focus or drive, I think. And it manifests as chaos. I agree with that. Yes. Yes. But it's a subtle distinction. And I think the other thing is, if you write him off as an agent of chaos, you might be missing some of the character development that he's showing in this later episode, where I think he is Uh. a little bit. You know, he's a little bit more thoughtful. He's actually reading books. He is, you know, invested in his next generation, at least the dragon writing aspects of his next of his children. Uh and and thinking about where he fits in in the world. I, I think that this is going to be a little bit more of a focused, mature Damon we see going forward. Or not. I mean, it couldn't be that he continues to fuck things up again and again and again. But <laughs> it does feel like that he's a little bit more thoughtful in this latest episode. Yeah, he felt different. Alyssa says, I'd like to acknowledge the more intentional and balanced portrayal of women in Hot D in a way that hasn't been talked about much. Not only do we experience multiple birth stories with many different endings, which is a nice change of pace from just hearing about the births after the fact, but also this episode, we journey along with Rhaenyra going through afterbirth and her milk coming in. This is a very real and something that has not been portrayed in any previous Game of Thrones seasons from what I remember. Being a new mom myself, this hit home in a big way, and I was pleasantly surprised by how accurate it all was. It's very painful when your body starts producing milk, especially if you're not the one nursing, as it seems to be the case that Rhaenyra has a wet nurse. That's something I meant to mention. The fact that uh, her lady in waiting said, you know, here's a hot towel for your sore breasts and it's going to be bad until your milk dries up. Because, yeah, most noble women did not breastfeed their children. They hated it That's off so weird. Too. That's so weird. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, who wants to be, who wants to have a kid hanging off your tit for the next three years, Jim? You got balls and turning. <laughs> That's fair. I, w- I wouldn't. Yeah. That fuck yeah, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, you do randomly start leaking through your clothes, even if you're wearing multiple layers. All this to say, I think the showrunners are doing a great job of giving women some credit for their woes on the battlefield of the birthing bed and everything that comes after. Yeah, it totally. seems like with Ryan Connell and Sapochnik, that was a deliberate choice that they wanted to show. They really wanted to take this battlefield of birthing mm-hmm. bed and show all the different ways you can be victorious and defeated and and just show you that it is and, a battlefield like I, yeah uh, you know you see all the trials and tribulations of the men's battlefield right over and over and over again but yeah if you want to claim that it's a battlefield show it's why it's it's a battlefield right yeah and I, doing I, no, I do Allison i do wonder too. how many men that are watching this especially younger men who might not have gone through the joys of childbirth with a woman themselves like the fact that there is a <laughs> oh sure we've had first birth but we've got afterbirth. you yeah. got you got to deliver this fucking placenta now you know there's still some pushing and squeezing you got to do <laughs> there's a, the yeah i 
it you just yeah we you don't see this on television you know mm-hmm. you, you at most you'll see a sweaty woman scream once and then the baby comes out and cries and it's just oh so happy and the physical discomfort and disability you go through is a lot of times kind of glossed over and certainly the more horrific aspects you know the ripping and the tearing the dying mm-hmm. that we spare ourselves a lot in in our in our modern era the dracarising i mean the you never see a dracaris you never i've never seen a woman be set on fire during a uh, during a difficult birth by a dragon in any any right? fiction you don't see that in er for sure love's labor yeah. lost <laughs> show me show me that when a dragon comes out and <laughs> burns the mother alive there's still lots of hot d to talk about we'll be back right after the break We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. And now back to Hot D. Uh, Christy. Christy says, I'm curious if marrying a Targaryen cures chronic anxiety and skin picking. Allison hasn't shown any signs of this since marrying to Viserys. His hand, her hands are perfect from the first time the, hmm. the, for the first time jump on. It seems odd they'd make it a focus and then suddenly abandon it. I would think being queen and being worried about my children being a threat to Rhaenyra's succession would provoke even more anxiety. Yeah, if it was going to come back, it would make sense to come back in that final scene with Laris. Uh, uh, but yeah, they don't bring it back. That's interesting. Yeah, it's so interesting. They they, they had in the official podcast um, with our, our buddy Jason Concepcion, they interviewed uh, Miguel Sapochnik. And one of the things I found surprising is that I thought that maybe uh, like Millie and Olivia would spend some time together talking about, you know, performance choices and stuff. And apparently 
none of the younger women talked to uh, the older actors when they were working this stuff out. Uh, the directors had some ideas like uh, Miguel said, you know, we hmm. wanted to keep something like the, the fingernail biting was the one thing they wanted to keep consistent. And I thought that was interesting because I would expect her to be biting her fingernails. But I, I, there, maybe maybe that'll come in later. You know, maybe she hasn't reached the height of her stress yet. Um, <sighs> but I was kind of like what, watching yeah. for it for my second watch because, you know, I, I watched the official one in between my first and second. And it didn't seem like that was a trait that uh, that they that they shared and, and that that. Yeah, like I said, that was something in the Yellow Jackets where the 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 teenage girls and the older women kind of got together and like worked out, you know, like how are we going to make sure this is continuity? This, I guess, all went down to writing a good direction. Um, okay. So. Lacey from Nashville says, I rarely write in, but I want to point out the observation was noted on a TikTok regarding the interaction between Damon and Rhaenyra in season one, episode five. I think it goes unnoticed by many viewers that Damon reeks smells of dragon in episode one it's made clear how much Rhaenyra stinks of dragon horses are not immune to prey response and that's why it reared at the mere hand of Damon I thought that's an interesting detail that Hmm. like yeah horses get skittish when they are confronted with predators smell uh you know their urine their scat because they don't want to get eaten Mm mm-hmm uh, dragons are this the apex predator of essentially everything in this world so yeah, I thought it was weird that the drag, but like maybe Damon knew that, and he got all he got all he got all stinky on uh, Caraxes, and then landed and spooked her horse. That makes some sense. Yeah, not it's it's a little bit more forethought you'd think from an agent of chaos, but uh, <laughs> he he every once in a while. Chris from north of Boston, the infamous Nobo area. <laughs> Uh, if the king is dead, could Alicent marry Damon, thus preserving a Targaryen ki- uh, as king and getting around his bedroom troubles because it would still ensure a male Targar- Targaryen heir? If the king is dead, could Alicent marry Damon? Um, so I think you're making a mistake at thinking that the ruler of Westeros is like a hat that you hand off to people. Like Viserys is wearing the hat. And and Alicent is his queen. So if Viserys dies, Alicent has the queen or has the hat, mm-hmm. and and then Viserys can get it by marrying her. It's, no, really, it's, it goes to Rhaenyra. It it all is it all goes through the blood of the king, and you have to exhaust all of his heirs before Damon. Like every time there's a there's a kid underneath the line of Viserys, Damon gets further and further out. Yeah. Yeah. Even though he was the second born of Viserys's father and a grandchild of Jaehaerys himself, you have to exhaust all of the bloodline of Viserys before Damon can even be considered. So that wouldn't actually help anybody out. Um, because as soon as Viserys dies, she would stop being the queen. She would be like maybe the dowager queen, like the, an honorific that, mm-hmm. you know, she'd have some informal court poli- uh, power and court politics if the new reigning queen or king gives that to her, but she could also be locked in a tower for the rest of her life or behead, <laughs> you know, like she, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's something that we just, yeah, it's, it's weird, you know, uh, cause we're so far out of, of, of monarchies and how their succession plays that, but, but yeah, that's not how it works. Amy from Boston, longtime listener, first time caller, love to hear it. After a lot of processing and listening to my podcast, my theory is the folks who saw the time jump coming loved it, and those who are surprised by it are hating it. 
I was not a fan of this latest time jump because the last episode set up a bunch of interesting things that I really wanted to see play out. It seems that if you had some prior knowledge, either from reading the books or the internet, you knew not to get too invested in the stories from the first half of the season. You knew what show you were really watching, but I didn't. Boo, I'm super sad, but I'll get over it eventually. My question is, assuming my theory is correct, do you think there's anything the show could have done to communicate this time jump ahead of time so that we are all on the same page with our expectations? I agree with you that flashbacks would have been cheesy, but at least they could have shown, let us know what to focus on emotionally. What else could have been done? Maybe more foreshadowing of the time jump in other ways. Maybe starting with a flash forward in the first episodes that we were introduced to the new cast first. Perhaps giving us some narration about what was going to be the main story of the season from the character's vision or dreams. Jim, what do you think of this analysis? And do you think the show could have done anything better to ease the future shock of people going into the, the big time jump we had? It's a really good question because I've known from the beginning there was going to be a big time jump. I didn't know when. I assumed I knew there would have to be a time jump because they had two sets of actors for these characters. They cleverly concealed that in the trailers for the season. So, yeah, they, I mean, everyone had to have known. Well, I guess not. I guess if you thought these if were all different characters. Sure. Uh, the the appearance is quite the coincidence then. But like, I, I, I think there are probably some people who didn't watch trailers even. Right. Yeah. And true. and those people it's probably went way. in just totally blind and yeah. got got blindsided by the time jump. Um, sure. So so I don't really have that perspective. I do think maybe doing a quick scene at the beginning with the older actors and then going, you know, 12 years earlier might have prepared anybody and everybody for that time jump a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I think I don't think that's a terrible idea. Um, mm hmm. I just don't know where they would put. I'll have to see more of the older characters to see what that first scene could have been. But yeah, and, yeah. and she says you knew not to get too invested in the stories from the first half of the season. I think that's the wrong lesson. I think you should get sure. very invested into Rhaenyra and Alicent's relationship, and Rhaenyra and Viserys's relationship, and Alicent and Viserys's relationship. Those things are all very rewarding and that's why I, I, I was genuinely blown away and pleased we got to spend this much time in like the prequel to the prequel because those things are going to be so much more richer than they than they, they come across in the books because we got to spend that time um yeah same characters I, w- I will say that like a lot of people that are saying oh my god we barely got to know Lena and we barely got to know Harwin and they had this whole 10 years together and it's just gone and what am I supposed to feel about you can if you feel anything that's a I think that Condal would say that's a bonus because hmm. I'm not going to say these are rebound relationships but there's a reason that you can safely skip ahead 10 years because this was a relative period of stability you know before the roller coaster dips a final time and you're going to see that these were all transitionary phases of people at least that's how i what i how i'm thinking of it right now mm-hmm. um that will eventually go on and 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 uh and that, that's the thing it's like i think people are gripped up in this one episode and i'm not saying the re- the season can't fumble the ball you know sure. in the final episode or two that remains to be seen but I, I think if they continue to competently tell the story like they've done in the previous five episodes, um, maybe people will either change their mind about episode six or that's one you'll you'll see it as one kind of rough hiccup. And when you see the overall structure of the show, you'll be like, well, yeah, maybe they could have done something better. But like 
these other things maybe have done more harm to again it's about the character motivations and relationships mm-hmm. um that are important so i'm not saying yeah. that harwin and lena are not important i'm just saying that you know they're not as important as some of the other stuff and and also there's there's the, the books uh, people are like oh is there a stuff that's more fleshed out in the books no no fuck no there's not <laughs> yeah nothing is more fleshed like, out like another couple of paragraphs of information um, but all that's like you know that Lena was all about riding dragons and she was like this you know fierce ambitious dragon rider and she kind of loved her children like I think that all came out on the screen you mm-hmm. know uh, so. I do agree that there were some things I wanted to see conclusions to or, or continuations of, like Kristen yeah. uh, and his sure. explanation for what he did. Um, there, there were, you know, Viserys collapsing twice in the same episode, I, I thought was like a loose end. Um, there were just like, OK, I guess he's he's not dead, but he's not getting better. It's just he's stable for 10 years. I don't know. Or roughly stable. Yeah, he's losing his arm. There, there were definitely things that. It didn't feel like a huge bummer to lose them, but I wanted to know more. I'm with you. Yeah, but I'm I'm thinking like if we come in and, you know, King Viserys was sitting at his table and be like, oh, my small council just want to take a time to note all the changes we've made here. You know, the old maester died and oh man, I've been feeling <laughs> yeah, so much better be since the new maester came along and I haven't had an amputation in 10 years and I've stayed, I look like hell, but I've stabilized. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of think it's cool that there are explanations at the edges that you can kind of piece together. Like, sure. They showed everything that you need to construct a uh, a justifiable shooting, let's say, in Westeros when it comes to the, you know, uh, the Sir Kristen beating Joffrey to death. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to read the police report to know probably how the Lord Com- the Commander of the Kingsguard would write it up, Right. If you've seen sure. We Own This City, if you've seen The Wire, if you paid attention, like you, you can see the the obvious threat. He pulled a knife. He insulted the princess. What is that? And I to ultimately, do? the queen wants him as her king's guard. So what are you going to do? Right. Right. And and that like Viserys might not like it and he might be like, mm-hmm. oh, my queen. But like, what's he going to do when when Alicent stamps her foot and puts it down like we yeah. see in this episode? Right. So like. Mm-hmm. Is it cooler to draw those connections yourself and have a little bit of debate and kind of like, uh, you know, tell that story in your mind? Or is it better for the show to come out and and spell it out? Uh, I don't know. Like, that's that's a matter of taste. Yeah, totally. Mike says, and one coup de gras, Larry has established himself as being far more menacing, cold hearted of a foe than Peter Baelish for now. Per his mm. chilling speech at the end of the episode, and goddamn, can we appreciate the soft-spoken yet undoubtedly malicious tone the actor uses? His power and influence are all that matters. He's no issue sacrificing anything to attain his goals. He has no attachments whatsoever. Even Baelish, if memory serves, would not part with his Sansa in climbing the ladder of cans. Uh, sorry, the canvas ladder. Climbing the ladder of canvas. Mm-hmm. That's what Littlefinger is all about. <laughs> He just loved painting these erotic dragon paintings. We never really got to that. That was a big detail in the books omitted yeah. from the show. Part of the prophecy, actually. They took that part yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Climbing the ladder of chaos. Uh, he still held on to to Sansa as a surrogate, uh, you know, cat, right? Mm-hmm. He had some small, shriveled up, twisted heart. But La- uh, Laris, he's still nothing of the sort. Allison's terror at Lord Laris sniffing that flower followed his monologue, only cementing that the man is a sociopathic monster and a threat to everyone around him. 
serpent in the garden of Eden symbolism with that scene, perhaps. Hmm. Um, I think they're because re- I'm 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 morally certain that that's the same flower that he was observing that is improbably thriving, even though it's a bravosi flower okay. and him, you know, this big bouquet and uh, admiring and smelling is kind of making a point to her that like I am the manure and greenhouse that's enabling you to thrive. Which you flourish. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, whether Allison is picking up on that or not, I don't know. Uh, it was 10 years after he gave her that object lesson. Yeah, you think? Right, right. It's a long time to remember some minor thing like that. Uh, I, I said every time he stops by for a meat pie, he likes to. He, she's like, oh, God, he's going to bring up the fucking flowers again. I know it. Yeah, I mm-hmm. get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. He's been doing that once a week, every week for 10 years. Yeah. But yeah, uh, satanic satanic reference is always good too. Yeah, I, I mean they're they're very similar. I, you can say that Laris is shaping up to be more of a monster than Peter Baelish, and I would probably agree with that. Especially this this crazy of a move this early on, and against his own family, and like, yeah, it's that's pretty intense. Um, but they the thing I love about both of those characters is that they do everything that they do all the evil that they do with a smile, right? Like the, th- there's a different feel to it. Peter Baelish, you can never quite tell if he is a monster, I think. Um, and I think by the end of the show, you know, that's still debatable, but like Laris, his smile tells you that he's a monster. He's got like a serial killer smile and uh-huh. I kind of love it. There's a slight nice. distinction, even though they're both Unhinged. like doing the same thing. It's like, yeah, you have, you are willing to go way too far, dude. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, David says episode six replaced, quote unquote, all the actors, but they didn't. They only replaced the primary women. Even some fairly young men got to stay in the role. Do you see the imbalance in there? Yeah, it seems like from the showrunner's perspective, it was all intentional too. like they wanted you to understand how young these women were uh, against the relatively aged uh, uh, appearance of the. the well, they the swapped other out Lenor too. I like it wasn't just That's women. It's a lot. Of, it, it was right. it was the young characters, right? They swapped out Lena. They swapped out Lenor. They swapped out. Uh... No, I guess uh, Kristen's the same guy. Kristen's I could have sworn the same they, guy, which they is swapped the one... out Harwin at some point because he looked different in this but yeah it's the same um, guy it, they I, just bought the young characters right i mean Kristen cole did. was like you said older by like what 11 a couple years like 10 10 years well at in least. the books he's been the books yeah but in the in the book in the show in the i think show, he's, he's only less. like 18 19 20 when rainier is like 15 16 so really wow he never yeah. read he didn't read 20 to me he read he like was an up jump that was like his first tourney five. appearance at the first tourney that we we saw him in okay you know, he's like this unnamed kind of like unknown not not quite a mystery night but he's off minted. fighting battles yeah somewhere else so and i but 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 irrespective of that the ryan Connolly in an interview said that they intentionally uh left the men involved in rainier and allison's life untouched because you're supposed to understand that like these were women who weren't fully these are girls who hadn't fully baked in the women and they were young and inexperienced in the way that the men weren't and the men like they wanted mm, to kind of gotcha. to get the idea that they're being taken advantage of and by not aging the men involved that that aided in that illusion and you can um, transfer so you that, that also to Lenor. i think yeah, Lenor right, was the right, same. Right, right yeah yeah 
Uh, he also says the kids of Alicent are also the kids of Asiris, so they are uncles or Rhaenyra's kids. I don't think there's any half or removed or any of that stuff. I think you're, I don't know why my brain blue screened on that. Uh, they're her half brothers, so they'd be half uncles, right? Okay. I think. I, yeah, I think so. But it's, 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 yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know. When the family dynamic gets complex, I, <laughs> my, my brain starts like fucking. <laughs> Me so. too. Yeah. Uh, Terrence from DC. I usually find myself agreeing through takes, but I think you've unfairly judged Alicent and her motivations in episode six. You seem to view her as petty and uh, holding a grudge because she has lied to as a teenager. But I think that seems unfair and lacking in context. First, Rhaenyra did more than just lie to her bestie, Alicent. Rhaenyra made Alicent complicit in having her father removed his hand, the second most powerful person in the kingdom. That's no trivial fall from grace, especially for a second son like her father, Otto. Second, Rhaenyra's plain-faced kids seem to make Alicent and her kids more of a target. There's already an open question of whether the realm will accept Rhaenyra as Viserys' heir because she's a woman and Viserys has a male heir. The fact that Rhaenyra is a known adulterer whose bastard kids could inherit the throne makes Rhaenyra's claim even more tenuous and a threat to Alicent's kids more pronounced. Third, Alicent seems rightfully bothered on moral grounds by Rhaenyra's now decades-long affair, or sorry, decade-long affair with Harwin. Though by today's standards, we may not care who sleeps with, whim- with, with whom, Remember that in these days, such transgressions are not taken lightly. You can be killed for questioning the princess's virtue, and a king's guard can be killed for breaking his vow of celibacy. Poor Kristen was ready to end his own life over a one-night stand with Rhaenyra. This type of faux morality seems very real to Westerosi. Fourth, Rhaenyra's actions are an insult to the throne. It sounds harsh, but her kids are bastards and by all rights not entitled to the throne or any type of inheritance. Westeros has very clear rules about the rights of bastards, you may be viewing this much differently because the books in the show usually deal with the bastard children of men and not women. But in reality, Rhaenyra is trying to give her bastards rights that these poor bastards just don't have. And finally, Rhaenyra's actions are an insult to House Valerian and the match that Viserys went through so much trouble to make. Remember that this match was strategic given the Valerian's dragons and control of the navy. Will House Valerian stand with the Targaryens because of Laenor's stepkids? It stands to reason they may not. Let's also not forget how Viserys was forced to go down the Driftmark and accept Corliss's disrespect just to make the match happen. All in all, I agree that we have few truly likable characters left, but let's not judge Alicent too harshly. I, I think this is more towards you because I've I've yeah, been trying I, to stay pretty balanced and like, yeah, try to keep the whole medieval thing in mind and the stakes in mind and, uh-huh. and the vulnerabilities here. I, and I remember... Yeah, definitely. I was the one that said that line. Uh, you got to remember, I'm also trying to put on an entertaining show. Uh, I don't always like come up with the turn of phrase that makes the most sense for the context in the show. It's kind of just funny to say that she's holding this grudge because she was lied to once as a teenager. Uh, and then you get people writing in, you know, who hyperbole. Is yeah, who, who maybe take me a little too seriously. Uh, no, I agree with all of that. I think it is like it's far more than just she was lied to. The thing that I don't like about it is, well, it's not even that I don't like it. The the thing that I think makes this a foolhardy decision to continue pursuing this grudge is because she is offered a way out here, right? And like joining the two houses is ultimately, I think, what what they would want. Um, but she is blinded by the anger she feels toward Rhaenyra also. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think, oh, I I, I don't know. I I mean, that's in my opinion, that's what it is. Like she's offered a way out 
She's offered the joining of the two houses officially for the throne just further down the line than she would like. And she's upset that she can't get it the way she wants to get it. But at the other at the rest of the realm, and I think this is correct, largely sees Rhaenyra as a joke and that these people are bastards. That's no protection at all. Like marrying well, your. Well, then who born, are they going to turn to? Who? Right. They're going to turn. They're going to turn to the heir is uh, Aegon. Aegon. Yeah. And she's uh-huh. already got that sewn up because that's her kid. So right. either way, she wins in that scenario. Right. Yeah. I think it's except for. Does it weaken? So so is she thinking like six steps ahead where it's like, OK, there's going to be a succession battle and the lords are going to have to back one house or another. And you're going to have some people that are going to be staunchly pro Aegon. You're going to have some people going to be staunchly pro Brynira. But there's always the mm-hmm. fucking independence. They're like, I don't know who I'm going to support. If Alicent says marries into this family does that weaken her claim of like well it's well known these were bastards well why did you let your family get married to bastards if she says i would have nothing to do with this you know like my house is going to stay untainted from the sins of rhaenyra does that strengthen her claim and some of those independent lords who might have been swayed by something like well if it's so cut and dry about bastardry why is alicent and viserys marrying their kids off and do all this I- I mean, th- th- okay, then just fall on that sword and say, yeah, I married my child off to a bastard and a- Aegon can just disavow it and say, mm. I don't believe in it. I'm the lore. I'm the I'm the true ruler. Let's do this. Like e- either yeah. way, either way she wins there. I don't know why she doesn't accept this offer. And also, like, I know that I can't say that the king can do anything, but he can't really do anything. But if Aegon were to take the throne, he could just set aside that marriage, too. He could be like, this was illegitimate. This was bad. This was done totally. in secrecy. And, yeah. and again, he couldn't do that just with anybody or anything. He couldn't just set aside any marriage. But if the whole realm, like 75 percent of the lords and ladies and small folk, too, thought that that was a bunch of crock of shit, he absolutely could. Because <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, that's why the might makes yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, that's why you, in, in in most modern societies we try to put limits on the majority's power and protect the rights of minorities because mm-hmm. nobody's going to say no if a popular figure goes up. Hey, y'all want something? I'm going to give it to you. Fuck yeah, right. we love you know like that's yeah. It's 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 it can get dangerous when you do that too much. Uh, Mike from St. Louis says I've been a big fan of Hot D so far, but this episode left me feeling a bit off. We flash forward this week to discover Rhaenyra has given birth to three of Sir Harwin's children. I found that disorientating as Rhaenyra and Harwin had probably only spent about two minutes on screen together in the first half of the season. Uh, were they in love? Were they just having sex? What was his relationship like with those kids? What kind of person is Harwin? How should I feel about them? How should I feel about them being together? Uh, I had a similar feeling about Lena and Damon as well. Shortly after finding out Lena is now riding the biggest, most badass dragon in the Seven Kingdoms, she ca- dies kind of randomly in a childbirth suicide by dragon. In total, she's had maybe 20 minutes of screen time. And again, I'm not feeling much beyond confusion. In the inside the episode, the director said we were watching their marriage fall apart. I thought this was an odd thing to say as we'd never actually seen any part of their marriage before. Why should I care? I guess I find it hard to have any kind of reaction to these deaths since we'd spent such little time with these characters. It felt like listening to the audiobook on 2.5x speed. Hmm. Uh, I mean, first of all, I would be happier if everyone just stopped listening to these inside the episode things, man. Like, I am increasingly <laughs> becoming disillusioned by a director who 
Well, I guess Miguel, he's the showrunner. Uh-huh. <laughs> but a lot of times oh, yeah. when you get a director who's like read the script for one or two episodes and barely knows how the thing fits in and he seizes on one thing, like it's again, it, it either happens on screen or it doesn't. These people can't fucking change how you feel or how we see events. Um, so it's like it, I, I find it distracts from the conversation more than it enhances. And also check back with me at the end of episode 10. Like, if you really do think it, like, mm-hmm. you needed more Harwin and you needed more Lena to understand Damon and Rhaenyra or whatever that, then, then that, then, then that will be an indictment. But right now, this is just a little bit of confusion and shock from a ten care uh, from not just a ten year time jump, but a replacement of several key characters. And I think you'll understand that the show did a pretty good job of tossing this stuff into the future. But again they could fuck it up in the last four episodes here and all of my words can turn to ash in my mouth. But I, mm-hmm. I think, I think you guys and gals will be pleased. Uh, yet another mic. Keep on getting mics uh, approaching. Uh, I'm confused about the blonde Targaryen genes. Alicent has red hair. The king blonde. His children are blonde. Blonde is a recessive gene. Rhaenyra has blonde hair and her lover Lord has brown hair. Their children all have brown hair. Are they suggesting the blonde gene is only relevant when it comes from the man? Is George R. R. Martin confused about genes or am I? Did I miss some explanation about where blonde Targaryen hair is actually dominant? Why can't one of Rhaenyra's kids be blonde? Why do Damon's kids look exactly like their mom? Uh, <laughs> is it like with white tigers where they're caused by sleeping with cousins? I think that's how white tigers are made from cousin tigers. <laughs> I, look, I, I I got my hands full looking up Targaryen lineage and dragon biology. I'm not going to dip into what the fuck uh, uh, Roy and what's his face were doing over in <laughs> sure, Sig- Siegfried. Siegfried and Roy. Yeah, you have to ask them. Ask them uh, about Tiger fucking, yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 are we going to have to have this debate every single week? Every single week? Or is it just when a new Targaryen or strong well, I is mean, born? It's hard not to talk about it when it is a main plot point. That, like, these kids don't look like what we think should come out of a but womb But I feel like we've been, it over, this... been over it, like, three times already, right? Like, the, the genes don't work the way you think they do in our real world. And even in our real world, it's murky. So, yes, let's forget. And, about it. Let's forget about it. And you just got to understand that, like, it's not science. It's what these medieval people think of science. Sure. Um, and they're probably right more than they're wrong. But it does lead them astray. But, you know, it's complicated in this because we do know that it'd be one thing if if. if Rhaenyra and Lenor are like, God damn, I'm a gay dude and I'm fucking this woman just for this purpose. And they all come out with brown hair and ain't it ironic. <laughs> what an ultimate. Like, I'm clocking yeah. in. I'm doing the work. I'm sweating up here. I'm like, you know, uh-huh. I got this hot guy blowing me. And at the last minute, I still and, and they're still coming out. Bro- it would be one thing, but I yeah. don't I honestly don't understand why people are so fuck, fucking fixated about this. The seed is strong has always been stupid and bullshit. Yeah. Ned happened to be right for the wrong reasons. Uh, the 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 lords happened to be right for the right reasons this time. Um, it's it it doesn't matter. It's all about the politics of the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like what are you, you going to get in like the fucking DeLorean and go back in time and also cross into whatever planet we're on and be like, wait, wait, wait. Let me drop some modern biology on y'all. Yeah. Like that's not going to work. It isn't. 
No, I'll be happy if we never have to talk about this again, frankly. Um, oh, boy. Well, then I'm going to skip a couple emails here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> because, because. That's just, it. The show's over. There were 28 King, more emails. King Jim Harris said, I'll hear no more. <laughs> I'll hear no more of this genetic shit. And, and f- f- five dry mm-hmm. pies are served in feedback. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, let's let's do one that involves skin color and not hair color. Oh, Jesus. Sean says, I do have a few issues, though, and would like your opinion. First, a change in race concerning Valerians, I think, has been amazing thus far, but it makes the choice of Rhaenyra to bed strong risky. I would assume genetics do not work the same way in Westeros. Are we to believe that no one is uttering discontent after Jace was born? I don't buy it at all. It's one thing to lack the blonde locks. It's another to be white as a pearl. And yet Allison would have jumped all over this the minute Jace was born. Um, so it must be said, good God, I'm going to wade into the deep end of colorism. I hope this, I hope I survive. Oh boy. It must be said that, uh, Lanor is an extremely light skinned black man. This is fair. This is fair. And I would like mm-hmm. to draw you or attention to the NBA player, Blake Griffin, who is also extremely okay, light skinned black man. And look at his wife, who is a he. She's a Targaryen princess, platinum hair, blue eyes. And look at this man's children with her. They could be on a Third Reich recruiting recruiting poster. Like no mm-hmm. one would say, like unless you knew that their father was black, that these were uh, black children. Like when they show up to their historic. Black college and university with a legacy oh, scholarship, yeah. they're going to get some hazing. Okay, mm-hmm. like, and I, I haven't talked about this, but several people have shown me this um, story from South Africa back in the seventies, where two white people had a black child. Now, I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that that meant that there was a a, a a a person of color back in the family tree, maybe in the great grandfather thing or whatever. But like shit can happen. And I think it's kind of cool that this show is not like hung up on the racial aspect of it. Like they are preserving the seed of strong bullshit from the books, but no one's being like, oh, can this guy with a lot of cream in his coffee have sex with this girl who's pure cream and their kids come out? Olive skin, like, yeah. I I just need the next email to be about eye color, and we'll have completed the trifecta. Uh, no, no. Kim King Jim Jim Harris yeah. has decreed no more of the seed of strong bullshit, and as his Lord <laughs> Commander, I am now I am now bearing the sword against this and the feedback. Uh, so you either get it or you don't. We're gonna not talk about it. Uh, hopefully again. Um, Mike. To put a bow on this, says, I'm loving the lack of racial discrimination in Hot D, from the Valerians to the New Maesters, etc. It doesn't seem there to be any ill will towards people with brown skin. In a world that does hold strong in the patriarchy, am I naive to think that this world is colorblind? I hope it stays that way. I haven't heard the slightest racial slur, and with the prominent interracial relationships, it seems promising. Yeah, like I, I, I mentioned a few lore segments ago, that my headcanon is that skin color is just like hair and eye color it's an it's a heritable trait from your parents it has nothing to do with the geograph geographic region uh because westeros there's 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 a there's a reason that people 
the closer you get to the equator, the darker your skin, and the further you get up northern latitudes and southern latitudes, the lighter the skin. It's because we need some sunlight to generate vitamin D or we die. But if we get too much sunlight, it causes all kinds of cancers and fucks with our DNA. So we got to like really customize that shield a little bit. Uh, Westeros, as far as we know, their seasons have nothing to do with the, t- the tilt, has nothing to do with their sun and orbital mechanics. Per Martin, it's just fucking magic. So it should be possible to your skin color just doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. It should be like, you know, uh, uh, you know, like like cats. You, know, you got a you got a white cat and a, a mama, white mama and a black dad. And they can have calico kittens like horses, and kittens and just According like horses. Viserys. Just like Viserys's horse theory. That's how I think. And and so, like, it's very possible for a Lysanti to fucking hate a Mirish person, but for cultural and regional differences and not for the color of their skin. So I, I think you're onto something, yeah. Mike, and, and, and I, I like it. I like it when fantasy things indulge in a little bit of colorblind uh, because it's certainly not the real world we live in. It does seem like they're, they're still portraying people from Essos as, like, more olive skinned, darker hair. Uh, everyone I've seen I from over there so Pintos far looks like he could have been my uncle, though. Like he just really, you know, I thought, yeah, I thought he looked some... more Greek or something. I really? I have to go back and look at him. I, I didn't. Okay, <laughs> I wasn't scrutinizing his appearance too much. Um, yeah, but yeah, King Jamaris is colorblind. It's it is known. True. Uh, HP says I enjoyed episode six with a single exception. Why is Rhaenyra so passive? She was a boar-killing, snarky, fearless badass, and now she's doing everything Allison says without a word to her or her father, leaving her home unprompted. To me, it seems like she's lost all her fight and hasn't been honing the cunning and strategy required to lead. Maybe it's motherhood or maybe the events that preceded her wedding made her see how reckless she was, but it just seems that like she's a beat dog now. Uh, what do you think about this analysis, Jim? Um, I wasn't... I wasn't getting beat dog until the end of the episode because she is defeated. Like the the everyone around her has started to talk, right? She's lost any allies she has uh, around her father. Um, or well, at least one of them. Uh, she, she's lost her lover. Like things are starting to go wrong for her and she's starting to get in over her head with the rumors. Yeah. And so now... Now she is fleeing. Now she is tucking tail, certainly. Um, yeah. But before that, I felt like she was right there in the court mixing it up, trying to counter and, and, and stand up to Allison for the last 10 years. Yeah, and like I mentioned in the episode, I, what, what you're calling beat dog, I say is is warranted caution. Like she used when you're to dealing speak with her the mind. Queen. Yeah. And do whatever she wants. But like here, you can literally see her biting her tongue, uh, going along, you know, trying because I think that's a smarter political play. Like you don't just go off half cocked saying whatever you want to any lord or lady or queen. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like her maturing from a teenage girl to a woman who's had three kids and has been on the small council for 10 years. All that that like I thought that was positive uh, character growth, just like Damon. Damon's no longer. Well, I mean, yeah. maybe he is, but but he, he they seem to be portraying him as no longer the hot headed, just complete fucking who gives a shit asshole that he used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg in Sac- Sacramento says the argument that Rhaenyra wants crown would be forced to kill Allison's kids is bullshit. As Damon said, they are dragons and they can do whatever the fuck they want. 
Once Rhaenyra is queen and accepts all the Lord's oaths, she should just intermarry all the strong Valerian Targaryen kids together. If anyone squawks, she says, shut the fuck up or we'll Dracarys your entire house. <laughs> Aegon did whatever he wanted and Rhaenyra could too. And this world might makes right. Uh, I feel like we've this might be a little bit of dry pie even in this feedback section. But Jim, what what? What do you make of this? The queen has ultimate power and, she, and she's got dragons and she can do whatever she wants without concern for anything. Uh, I mean, that's a dangerous attitude to have, certainly. It, I think if 20, however many dragons they have, only goes so far. It's a big realm. There are a lot of houses that might object to that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's It's risky, certainly. Yeah, it's like even Damon in brash asshole mode had a dark laugh at Rhaenyra being like, I can do whatever I want. A small folk don't matter. Like you need the small folk to bring in your crops. And if they all go in rebellion or if the you know, like, yeah, you can burn them all where they stand. But then who's going to bring in your crops? You can melt every lord's castle. But then who's going to pay your taxes? It's a good point. I always consider what the other lords are going to think. I don't really think about what the peasants think, even though they are a vital part of any community. And when you don't pay attention to them, that's when you get small folk uprising. That's when you get Mm -hmm. faith militant fucking things around. That's (laughs) when you get civil wars like it's like I said, it's it's true that they have chief executive power and nukes. But like, imagine if you had a, a ruler with nukes today and every time someone defied them, they just nuked the city. Yeah. Detroit's out of line. Nuke Detroit. Uh, fucking New York doesn't like that. The nuke Detroit. They're going to nuke them too. L.A.'s rents nuke. Well, where the hell is all your industry? Where the hell is all of your finance? Where the hell is all of your your trading and your universities like you can't mm-hmm. you, you can't just Dracarys everything you want and you can't just do whatever you like. Even you mentioned Aegon the Car- Targaryen fucking read Aegon's life story. It wasn't easy ruling this seven kingdoms. <laughs> By the way, Asterix, he never did get a hold of Dorne. Never did get that shit settled straight. That was constantly a thorn of his side. The faith of the seven didn't like him marrying his sisters. Didn't like him marrying double sisters. That was a fight that he had to fight and that never did get settled into Jaehaerys the conciliatory. A conciliatory came and, and made an agreement between the faith of seven. No one gets in this world gets to just do whatever the fuck they want. That is a child's idea of what the king and the queen do. Um, and like I said, even Damon is smart enough to do the, to know that that's not true in episode four. So yeah. it is a common thought, but it just ain't true. Like and and if you've I, like, I, geez, if you've seen Game of Thrones thus far, like Tywin, you know, like, and Joffrey, like there is a person who says I can do whatever the hell I want. I've been told I can do whatever the hell I want. And Tywin's like, no, you can't. You can't even fucking stay up past your bedtime. I'm sending you to bed like, <laughs> yeah, it's shit's complicated. Uh, let's see, Audrey. And that's the other thing is you have to keep in mind. You said the Rhaenyra once crowd would be forced to kill Allison's kids. You're acting like that's what something Rhaenyra would want to do when I'm trying to get you to understand that, like, like Aegon might not want to challenge, but Aegon is a threat because he lives and breathes and other mm-hmm. lords will be like, we'd rather have the boy king than the woman queen. And it wouldn't matter what Aegon wants, you know? Yeah. Hit, the war would be fought in his name, and if he gets, he, he either gets put on the throne and is ruled by a bunch of shadowy overlords and behind, or he bucks the trend and the lords kill him and put his second brother on the throne. Like, there is limits to this shit, especially when we're talking about boy kings and things like that. So, 
always keep that in mind that, you know, the rules, you know, it's like it's like what the lawyers say, like it, when when you're fighting a case and the law's on your side, bang the law. When the law's not on your side, bang the facts. And if the law and the fa- facts are on your side, bang the table. Bang that's the how the West. Oh, that's no. bang the judge that. Well, that's uh, that's how the Godfather does it. But uh, <laughs> uh huh. Anyway, Audrey says we got an official Grover Tully name check. HBO owns the rights to Sesame Street. Will we see Elmo, Kermit, and Oscar Tully? So (laughs) Audrey is obliquely referring to one of George Martin's favorite things to do, which is embed real life things that he likes into the names. Uh, Grover Tully, his grandchildren will be called Elmo and Kermit. You're joking, right? I'm not joking. Please. I'm not joking. <laughs> just just like there's oh Phil God. Sims jokes put into the there's there's rivalries between the you know his beloved New York Giants and oh, other yeah. teams He's put in this. He's a sports fan, right? He he likes putting this shit in and as Audrey mentioned, there's already been an HBO Game of Thrones Sesame Street crossover. Uh Peter Dinklage and Lena Headey reprise the roles as as uh uh, Tyrion and Cersei, and they were fighting in the small council chamber about how much they hate each other. And Sir Elmo came and told Jesus. them that they need to respect each other, just like Elmo. Like Jesus. there, is, there is a YouTube video where this red fucking Muppet is lecturing Cersei oh, and, and wow. Tyrion and getting them to love and respect each other. So, uh, I I, I kind of hope we get to see Lord Kermit and Lord Oscar. <laughs> In the same scene, because yeah. I want it to be extra clear that this is what's happening. I hope Kermit is the green frog, and he's got a stylized green frog on mm-hmm. his, his sigil. I hope Elmo has flaming red hair. I hope he has a squeaky, uh, high-pitched voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I do hope that. The, the, our uh, our erstwhile producer, is that, that's not erstwhile, that's, that's our actual producer has just found the video uh, perhaps she'll be kind enough to link that in the show notes if you guys want to see. Yeah, please. Elmo, Elmo laying down the law to Cersei and Ty- Tyrion. Okay, Meredith says, "So glad to have your World of Ice and Fire coverage, Ice and Fire coverage back." Well, thank you, Meredith. Um, it truly enriches the whole experience of the shows. Um, so far, one of the disabled characters has turned out to be evil incarnate. Making villains disabled people is a trope with a long history that feeds into people's fear of us disabled people. Being disabled is already alienating enough, and this trope needs to end. You're not wrong, Meredith. Uh, it does seem mm-hmm. like as as careful as Martin is to um, anti-trope some things and to be aware of their different sexual and gender dynamics that he can still fall into other harmful tropes. Um, yeah. It's not that disabled people can't be evil. It's just that often right. that is an othering thing to make you feel unsettled and like, oh, there's something weird about this person, right? It gives you yeah. those uneasy vibes, so and that sucks. Emotional that sucks. or storytelling shortcut, yeah, totally. Yeah, hopefully hundreds of years in the future where we've all had our time to be villains and heroes, it won't matter, you know, like it, you, you know, like uh, you know, <laughs> it won't be such a such a trope. But yeah, it it, it sucks right now, and. Uh, I do wonder if there are people ever be preemptive about this. Like, can you sit and tell a story and every time you start leaning into a trope, be like, even though this hasn't blown up on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, no one's been canceled over. Maybe it's kind of shitty. 
maybe it's kind of shitty to put this protected minority in an unflattering light. But on the other mm-hmm. hand, I also could think that like if you do that too much, it could be patronizing. Uh huh. You know, like you're putting people in a box that they can only be this or only be that. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a trope when it just occurs over and over again, right? And and is used like I said as a shortcut for something. Um, because like too- you said, it's not like it's not like disabled people can't be evil. They can certainly be evil, just as much yeah. as someone who doesn't have a disability can be. So, yeah. And that's it. It can't go too far because I've listened to several podcasts in the Game of Thrones hot D space, and I feel like some of the hosts of these shows are under the impression that if only BIPOC women ruled the world, it would be perfect. And sure, I don't think that's true. I think that like if Mother Africa had won the tech tree and with all of its vast resources and peoples conquered the whole world, um, that we'd be talking about these goddamn uh, black women ruining everything and oppressing the, the, the us innocent. I, I, I think mm-hmm. that like there's human nature that's universal and the faster that everyone gets a, 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 a seat at the table and we can all kind of figure that out and, and get to work at the truly universal problems, the better we are. But like, yeah, you can go too far in the other way and be like, well, you know, for example, white men are uniquely evil and they just need to be replaced by others who won't be bad. And, I think that's sure that's insane too. the opposite of insanity. It's certainly naive. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe the, the BIPOC, uh, women of color do need to rule everything. And they are, (laughs) they are like the elves and Lord. They're just better. They're just better than us. I think that's actually racist and sexist, but what the fuck do I know? I'm a white man. The saving grace for that viewpoint is that it's never actually been tried. So you can't refute it, right? Like we tried. Like that's a that's a completely ignorant point of view because like before we had this one world everything with with steamships and airplanes, there was many empires uh, of all black people in Africa and there was many empires of all indigenous people in South America and North America and Central America. Show, show me any... the societies that have been ruled by women. Well, I mean, there's the Iroquois in the Great Lakes area where like we'll be talking about this here in a minute. Coincidentally, I'm just saying that like. We already have the answers to that. Before the world became one world, there was a lot of tiny little worlds where all kinds of fucked up heroes and villains, you know, over in Asia, Polynesia, uh, up in the Arctic Circle. Like everyone has had their chance to oppress and and, and uplift Mm -hmm. and fuck around. And it's just Hmm. the in the grand scheme of things, it tends to be us white folks that have taken imperialism and industrialized it and did it on a scale that's just truly fucking awful and impressive. But yeah, I think any true. one of us had that potential to to do that to the world. Uh, but again, may, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. There's still lots of hot D left to talk about. We'll be right back after the break. And now back to hot D. Uh... Cherie says, Allison's children look like Viserys. Wait a second. Wait a second. I'll not hear it. No, I think this this is different. This is why I didn't get into the genetics aspect. I I approached the throne and humbly asked Kim Jaehaerys. Bring me the headsman. I wanted to stand right next to me here (laughs) while we dissect this email. You might lose a tongue, Cherie. I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting my, my white cloak around you to protect you. All right. Allison's children look like Viserys. Rhaenyra's children look like Sir Harwin. And Lady Lane's children look like not Damon. 
They have driven home the fact that Damon has performance issues. Also, Lena is one her one-off line. I miss my brother as she rubs her belly. Could they be alluding to Lena bearing children with her brother? I need to go wash my brain out now. Oh right. boy, he can send the heads. Another back, level of back to his dungeon. Yeah, another level of of uh, bisexual incest. Oh my god! Sure, why not? Bisexual unilracial incest. <laughs> I I don't think so. I don't I don't think so because like Lenor doesn't seem like he's bisexual. If he was, Jesus Christ, could he get around to banging Rhaenyra? She's not exactly hideous, right? Come on, for the realm, maybe. Yeah, Jeez. take it. Yeah, like maybe <laughs> blondes aren't your thing, but can you? Uh-huh. Can you do it for the realm, my friend? Can you? Yeah, I I I don't think that's a possibility. Um, but again, I could be wrong. Uh, Caroline says, do you think that Rhaenyra and Lenor have consummated their marriage? Lenor doesn't seem the least bit surprised that none of his children look like him. But Rhaenyra says later in the episode that she's held up his end, that he has held up his end of the bargain, presumably in their marriage beds. Your thoughts? Yeah. What are the what are the Targaryen bedding ceremonies? Do they have them? I assume they would. Well, it seemed like it was like because normally the bedding ceremony is essentially a big ribald affair where like the bride and groom are kidnapped from their own feast mm-hmm. and they're borne aloft by the lords and ladies and they're pulling their clothes off and they throw them in bed. And I don't know, there's a, maybe they're even guiding slot a, tab A and the slot B. I I, I don't yeah, know. Like an Ikea instruction manual. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, yeah, exactly. Exactly like putting an <laughs> Ikea couch together. Uh, uh, but this was yeah. uh, it, some special circumstances, right? Like someone had just been murdered. There they was did like this back room. Yeah. Uh, justice of the peace marriage. Maybe there was like maybe the five people. Medic ceremony gets skipped. And that's the thing is like also everyone that was observing kind of knew that this was bullshit. Like the Valerians Fair. were under no illusion. I think Viserys even knew that there this was kind of like a, you know, a, a thing. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, but I, I think it would be hella ironic if, in fact, Lenor has done the deed and tried and they just, the, you know, they just keep coming out. Uh-huh. Look at yeah. Harwin. Because, you know, that's the thing. It's like there is some Baratheon blood mingled around in the Targaryens from the first, you know, almost from the first generation. So, like, if the seed is as strong as they say. Oh, my God. I can't believe I haven't made a seed is strong joke. It's Harwin strong. Right. It's Harwin strong. The seed is absolutely 100% strong. Oh, man. Honestly, in the books, there's so many clever strong puns where people are using to kind of like raise their eyebrow at the whole situation. Oh, there are shocked that we didn't get more in this episode. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, there's this whole. Well, I don't because who knows? They might they might pull this in in the next week or two. So I'm going to. Yeah. Let's just discover these together, perhaps. Alex G says in Allison's defense, Rhaenyra's proposal to marry her son to Allison's daughter doesn't provide any security to Allison herself or her sons. Oh, this yeah. is pretty much dry pie, but he gives some his 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 uh, some Westerosi history to back it up. Remember that Ned was executed to the, by the Lannisters while Sansa was betrothed to Joffrey and the red wedding happened while Sansa was married to Tyrion. So, yeah, but you're going to kill one of the heirs children's betrothed. I mean, that's that's an entirely different thing, is it right? You could go. 
You mur- Kill- they murdered Sansa's dad and brother while she was betrothed slash married to Lannisters. That didn't seem to offer the Starks any protection whatsoever. I yeah, but <laughs> a all all of the people in line for the throne and on the throne currently hated Ned, so there was that. Uh, I don't think the same would be true of Rhaenyra's child's husband or wife. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. See, that seems risky. Uh, Narl says on the instant talk, you guys discuss who the next hand would be. I'm curious as why Viserys wouldn't make Rhaenyra his hand. Seems like the perfect position for your heir to gain real political experience before ascending the throne. Hmm. Real and leal is how well, we like to keep it in the Seven Kingdoms. Jim, what do you think? I don't think she wants to be in King's Landing, so she might not take that position. But I don't. I don't know. It Ooh, it didn't seem like a bad idea maybe, before that. Maybe Viserys wants to, and she's like, "Nah, fuck this. You guys are talking bad about me. I'm going to Dragonstone." Yeah, and how does she? Yeah, she'd have to couch it commute, like that. Take a commuter dragon in every morning. I mean, you take could the commuter yeah. dragon home at night. I've I've driven longer commutes in my life. Yeah, sure. They got a couple turbo pop dra- uh, tur- turbo prop dragons that are just sitting there for the yeah for the little commute. Yeah, they don't want to wear out Cyrax or whatever his name is. Yeah, that that's true. She's got like a essentially a personal helicopter, and I've already mm-hmm. talked about how short a sail it is from Dragonstone. Yeah. yeah, it's probably is it it's 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 like probably flying from Indy to Chicago. Like the plane, the dragon doesn't even have time to get to cruising altitude before they're already coming down. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, we'll see. Well, first of all, the th- the thing is, is the queen. I mean, that I think the answer for all these is the queen's <laughs> not going to have it, and cool. the queen yeah. doesn't have any real power. But obviously she has power with Viserys. Leslie says, my question for you all this episode is why would Otto create such a mess for his family? Otto's clearly an astute and calculated individual. He's already sat in the second highest station in the realm as hand and had for a long time. When Aima died, wouldn't have been smarter for him not to stir the pot between Viserys and Damon. Let Damon continue to be heir for the time being. Have Alicent pursue and marry the king, and then see his grandson Aegon become the heir uncontested once born. It's really through his actions that Viserys named Rhaenyra heir and created this inevitable conflict, which lost him his job and put his daughter and grandchildren at risk. What do you think well, about this calculation uh, so, here? So I thought Alicent fucked all that up for him, right? Because Alicent's the one who was supposed to go and pour the honey into Viserys ear about uh, about Rhaenyra, right? It, it yeah. was supposed to make sure that she didn't become the heir, but yeah. she never did that because Rhaenyra lied to her. Yeah. Right? Am I, am I remembering that exactly right? Or... You might. I mean, I, I don't know that that's what Otto exactly wanted, but I think that's the way that Allison was trying to try to square that circle. Um I think you might be forgetting just how much Otto hated Damon and rightfully feared sure. him taking the throne. Uh, like yeah. if Damon got on the throne, Otto would probably be put to the sword just for shits and grins. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I think that they, both of those men made several unforced errors in judgment just to get the goat of the other. Um, cause yeah. Otto, yeah, he is smart. He is well-reasoned and considered. He's a little bit obsequious and toady, but, were it not for Damon, I think there there would be a lot less problems because just a lot of that was just 
just him being so fixated on there's no fucking way, no fucking way Damon gets to be king. Even even to the extent that like I'm getting the king on the afternoon or right after he roasts his his beloved wife and first male heir with his dragon, I'm going to drag him into his small chambers and make him make an issue of the heirs just just so we can avoid it. Because like, good God, Damon could do anything. He could kill the king tonight. And then where would we be? So I think he's a little just doesn't think right when it comes to Damon. And then maybe he underestimated how easy it would or how difficult it would be to get the king to appoint to switch heirs, I guess, later yeah. on, right? After Rhaenyra yeah. was made heir and then after Allison had Aegon, he thought, oh yeah, he'll see reason, right? The realm is with Aegon, so of course he'll just switch loyalties here, but he doesn't. But that's why like, I think these these first few episodes were so crucial and people to say oh we should have just skipped the right you know uh to the the meat is like well you'd miss all this like you'd have all these uh-huh. but then again like they did all that and people still are out of the questioning um you know why why didn't they do this it's like i thought they did a pretty good job of showing how much that damon and otto hated each other to their mutual detriment um and what kind of a crazy thing it was for viserys to appoint rhaenyra as his heir in the first place right Right. But it was his way of, you know, again, acknowledging his hands concerns and also or or rather to keep Rhaenyra as heir. Like once there Mm -hmm. was a firstborn son. Right. Like that's I think that's the like sort of beyond the pale thing as as the realm would judge it. Yeah. But it's all tragedy because that came directly Mm -hmm. from his guilt feeling that he drove his wife to. Yeah die trying to produce an heir fruitlessly when he had one there all along and Mm -hmm. like this was kind of retroactively correcting uh his father's heir and passing over Rainus Mm -hmm. and correcting his heir of fixating on having a male heir and doing like like he's very emotional is like there's he's very emotionally compromised and that's anytime you're like well why didn't people do the right thing (laughs) it's probably because they're emotionally compromised sure uh, Diogo says, I think the show is very well made and the story is interesting, but at the same time, it leaves me feeling cold. All the lords and ladies are awful people, which I'm sure is almost a prerequisite for the position. But in the original Game of Thrones books, there was a balanced. This was balanced by the inclusion of common folk you cared about. The Brother Without Banners, Gendry, the Wildlings, the People at the Wall gave you an insight into the world of the consequences of the movements of the lords. Something that isn't there in the show thus far. Right now, the only reaction that I would have to terrible things happening to the main characters is good. I don't know if that's sustainable for the show. Yeah. Other than not having humor, I think this is another big omission of the show that there isn't mm-hmm. that little, you know, not little person. There isn't the small folk voice. Yeah. I thought they were getting that with Missaria, but she right. seems to completely be AWOL now. Yeah, I mean, it's 10 years on. What's happened with her? Where is she at? I don't know. Said she's gone AWOL. It's uh, absent worm out of landing <laughs> kings. <frankly. laughs> landing kings. <laughs> no, it's it's yeah. I, I think you're right on with that criticism. I I don't feel an emotional connection to many of these characters. I still I'm still with Rhaenyra. I'll say that much. Um, but yeah, and Viserys. But boy, once. If anything changes there, I'm I'm gonna have a hard time identifying with any of these people. So give me some of the small folk. Give me a blacksmith. Yeah, I wonder, give me a whatever. That is, I like I, I from the structure of the show being primarily court intrigue around the House Targaryen. 
uh, and that very few small folk are in the red keep. If they are, they're servants. And like, I don't like, I, I don't think like, I don't think they could go down Abbey where you'd have the serving winches <laughs> no. and the, and the, you know, the, 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 I don't know what the stable boys and all that stuff. Like, I, I just don't think it would work because they'd be almost entirely separate plots and they mm-hmm. wouldn't, intersect the way they kind of do on Downton Abbey. Um, Even Succession does this right. I'll, I'll give them props because they have the the nephew of one of the characters, one of the main family mm-hmm. characters mm-hmm. who kind of joins the family business, um, mm-hmm. but is not, is in no way equipped to deal with it. He is what I would call the small folk in mm-hmm. House of the Dragon. And he's kind of the audience proxy in there. And I think they're kind of without one of those in this show and they'd probably be better off having one. Yeah, and the, the other thing is there was always lords that were more like, you know, John, John Snow's a bastard, but like all the Snow kids, oh, sorry, yep. Stark kids, they yep. were, had their heads screwed on right from a modern perspective, uh-huh. by and large. They they weren't power mad. They weren't uh, megalomaniacal. Uh, they, 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 they were raised by their parents right, and they had, you know, the realm's best interest in heart. They were genuine people that seemed, you know, like they had, yeah, so like, I, I don't know. Um, uh, aside from injecting humor and getting that small folks perspective, uh, I think the show has been largely flawless, but those are two weaknesses and I don't know how they shore, shore them up. Yeah. Well, they got time. I'm, I'm still enjoying what they're putting down. So if they can introduce those elements, that'd be great. Rocket from Robbinsville, Minnesota says, just writing expressed how bummed I am at the fate of the strongs at the end of episode five. They were my favorite family. Laris mm-hmm. and Harwin seem to be good brothers with mutual respect for each other as they discuss the meaning of Allison's green dress. They both seem to respect their father. Harwin was strong, but he didn't seem like some big, dumb brute like the mountain. I understand the need for time jumps, but I've liked to see more of how their relationship had fractured over the last 10 years that led to Laris' betrayal. I haven't read Fire and Blood. Was this breakdown and relationship discussed further in a source material? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. These huh. guys were much uh, so far, much more fleshed out in, in the show than they are in the books. Um, wow. Yeah, I hmm, I do think the one thing I think people would be lost is you just see Laris doing shit in the black cells and you don't know what his official position or title is. It would have been nice for someone to anyone to acknowledge like what he actually is at this point mm-hmm. uh like the queen could have said you know ever since you've been the lord confessor or whatever um i think it's pretty easy to put together and there's still many weeks that they could like backfill in this if they need to um i mean they do a lot of stuff they don't i'm struggling to see that they ever say the names of lena's children lena and damon's children so like there's a lot right. of stuff they're just like planting seeds for and then you will get more information as we go i assume and there's lots of show left, you know, there's multiple seasons, totally. probably going to be two more seasons There's still four episodes. Uh, so I'm not I'm not particularly worried. It's just that like that might be a way it just it, it, it distinguishes itself, you know, from other Game of Thrones projects like we's like, oh, well, you need a snarky Tyrion and you need some small folk in there. You need a, a hot pie uh, to to keep uh, the, the lords and ladies balanced. But do you? Like, you know, a lot of people are excited for the new Star Wars Andor project because there's not a lightsaber in sight, (laughs) not a fucking Mm -hmm. stormtrooper to be seen through the first four episodes. And that's like kind of cool. So maybe they can do just a purely palace intrigue with the lords and ladies and it'd be this kind of like grand kind of Greco Roman tragedy 
without the little people kind of humanizing it. Maybe they can do that and it'll be cool. So it doesn't have to be just like Game of Thrones, although we are, I think, missing that at this at this stage. I'm kind of with you, though. I do want to know more about their relationship as it stands now. Um, We never see them interact in this episode, so they might have hated each other or Laris might just be insane, right? Laris might have had a cordial, warm relationship with his brother until the opportunity to kill them and gain something from it presented itself. And he's like, yeah, fuck, let's do it. Let's go, right? Or maybe like once... Uh, Harwin's, you know, started doing fucking the princess and being on the gold cloaks, and sure. his father got named to hand. That like Laris kind of fell through the cracks, and you know he's been mm-hmm. ha- harboring all this bitterness and resentment ever since. And they throw him the Lord Confessor as kind of like a bone, and then he tries. So it's like you know, who knows what makes people's hearts go dark? Um, we'll see. Yeah, if they, if they want to fill that in with just like him and the queen talking or something, yeah. I would be more than happy to see that, but we'll see. Spencer says, just a quick line to let you know that I've discovered via the interweb. Some of you are, some people are referring to Larry strong as the middle finger. I thought it was hilarious <laughs> and worthy of your consideration for sometimes alternate to Larry. Also hilarious. No, pretty good. I will say this, that like where the show's missing humor, I'm finding it in the community oh, because yeah. I really missed the days where you had 30 million people watching something at the same time. And then Sunday night and Monday morning was just full of just people like trying their best stand up on, on Twitter and Reddit and all that stuff. I'm there's a really mm-hmm. funny one that I'm going to talk about with Anthony here in the Maester's corner, but like, yeah, just all the fucking memes. Uh, like there is inherently funny things happening on the show. Uh, the show itself is not choosing to observe them. They're giving all that over to us for us to make our best cracks about it. So I I do like that. This this is the first time since Game of Thrones where uh, minor in succession, there, there's a lot of memeing going on. But like House of the Dragon is just like, man, Sunday night to uh, Monday all through Tuesday is just hilarious. Why doesn't the official social media team get in on that? Because like, I look at what, you know, HBO and the Game of Thrones properties are releasing as far as their social media accounts. And I'm like, this is dry. This is, it's literally just like a screen screenshot of Jason Luke and being like the, the boys, like the, these are, these are the boys or something. It's like, dude, it's not funny. It doesn't have any life to it. It's nothing. And, well, but they're I, getting like thousands and thousands and thousands of likes and retweets. And yeah, if they did something more interesting and more creative and more fun, sure. God, they'd be all over the place. What do they do? I don't know what HBO's deal is. Here's here's some inside ball. Um, way back when we were invited to do an official podcast for the leftovers, a singular like a one once own like I think it was a preview for season two. And we got from HBO's legal team, a long list of things that we couldn't do. And one of them was say the word fuck. Yeah. And like they, they put restrictions on this is H B O telling us this this. is H B O telling us that we can't say the word fuck. Mr. I'm going to throw a child out the window to cover up her incest babies. I'm going to cut off a cock and slap it on this table. Yeah. Yeah. uh Like all the fucked up shit that we've seen in uh, like with the leftover going to stone a woman Uh, like Mm -hmm. they they are 
oddly conservative in their pro- I mean listen to the official podcast yeah. they they scolded Miguel Sapochnik for saying fuck <laughs> on their official show How? Miguel loves How? that I, I've only seen him speak extemporaneously like for two minutes in my entire life when he introduced I think he said the word fuck like three times like <laughs> it's a, it's crazy it's insane I don't understand why they do that do they not watch yeah. their own shit but it's like it seems like there's a big big divide between and you know fuck them they didn't give us screeners so that's that's what i think they should be uh, leaning into that and having more fun with this because that's what the audience clearly wants it's yeah. what they're doing but what so so they can be even more successful they're already the best <laughs> they're already the best yeah. prestige yeah i mean they're kind of in a club but, but no no they would be even more yeah i agree i agree uh, Kate from Boston says in the third episode they've point this is the third episode rather they've pointedly shown a rat uh, mm. previously we've seen scenes that lingered on a rat in the dragon skull uh, mm-hmm. rat feeding on the blood of Joffrey the shot seemed intentional to me do you think this is supposed to be a symbol or something of some type of foreshadowing of what is it is it, is it the, the king's know. poor decision making is it is it the spies is Ooh, it the, the, the fact that there's like, you know, uh, Kim, who's been pushing hashtag blood rat team blood rat uh, Renfro over on cast of Kings mentioned that she thinks that this is an allusion to those tunnel. Like, how are how are these rats getting into the king's private quarters? You know, uh, is it suggesting the tunnels that are going everywhere and seeing everything and hearing everything? Is it just a, to, to, to make you more, uh, you know, is he th- making that- a Valerian for rats? Is that what this <laughs> <laughs> it's a scale Valeria. model for rats. Old yeah. Valeria for rats. Yeah, no, that's exactly what he's doing. Um, <laughs> it's I like mean, some the, the, Zoolander thing, yeah. It's clearly like rats are a symbol of corruption uh, and decay and death. Sure. And, you know, you've got Viserys falling apart. Uh, you've got this, you know, rats come and, you know, consume you got the idea like that here's the Targaryens that their parents strongest and yet they're kind of falling apart from the inside this insidious thing happening to them and the rats are not I, I think I think there's a lot of just flavor that you can and uh, whether it's actually going to be foreshadowing or not I for something I, I don't know but uh, yeah it's a lot like his his flesh right it's rotting a lot of rats yeah and you know it's kind of cool that his right hand you know was going corrupt at the exact same time the auto was mm-hmm. and even the lealest hand in the kingdom couldn't stop that decay from happening uh it did save his right hand though was i thought his right hand is the one that he's missing is that I his, think left? It's his left yeah okay robert from atlanta says i get the bastards are a big problem when there's titles and lands passing through the male line if your lady wife is stepping out on you and someone knocks her up without your knowledge all of a sudden it might not be your biological son that takes the crown with you in the realm, none the wiser. It's title theft. But if titles can also pass through the matriarchal line, like Viserys intends, there's no concern about the lineage. There'd be several midwives who can testify that the baby came from the queen's womb. The father's parentage is irrelevant for succession purposes. Maybe it's less embarrassing at court if the child is the son, daughter of a gay king consort. But the titles that matter are never in question. Uh... Also, as an aside, I bet part of the reason why Viserys is willing to turn a blind eye is that he knows he forced her to marry a gay dude. He's emphasized the need for Rhaenyra to have heirs in order to shore up her succession line, so he's probably not picky about how the heirs came about. Because, yeah, he knows it's going to be the blood of the dragon. Anything that comes out of her is -hmm. going to be his. So when Rhaenyra tells Jace when he questions his parentage that being a Targaryen is all that matters, she's totally right. 
I mentioned that they, I think it was the Iroquois okay. uh, Native Americans from the the uh, you know the 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 Great Lakes region that had all of their stuff go through the 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 women like all property was inherited through women. Uh, the elder women of the tribe would um, appoint a, a warrior to be the chief and lead them in matters of warfare and whatnot. That does man that settles a lot of this shit. Like whatever comes out of that woman, that is who gets to inherit the property. Like, cause mm-hmm. you're right. Who knows what seed goes in there, but we know what comes out that, you know, like having a matriarchy line, matriarchal line would make a lot of this stuff a hell of a lot cleaner. A lot simpler. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then it also led to probably women ruling the world and shit. We can't have that happen. We've come perilously <laughs> close, giving him the vote, Jim and, and a third of the oh, world. Yeah. yeah. You got that's to get, that's we, perilously close, huh? That's the perilously the, close. The teeter totter is tipping all the way in the other direction. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially I'll just say it. White women. If, if we get the world over them, the fucking place is over. It's done. It's done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Nicole. Probably a white woman, by the way. Hmm. Uh, listening to the week's uh, main episode of coverage, you were discovering discussing how some people are comparing Aegon to Joffrey. While I agree with you that Joffrey was a complete psychopath and Aegon was just a bratty, spoiled teenage boy, I think there's something there to the argument. Mainly, there's a nature versus nurture discussion to be had. Joffrey's parents were indifferent and indulgent. Both saw what their son was, but Robert was too interested in drinking and whoring to do anything about it, and Cersei was too indulgent. Aegon's parents are more observant and involved. Viserys may be a bit obtuse and indecisive, but it's evident that he loves his children and is involved in their lives. Alicent's not blind to who her children are, but she seems to be attempting to be the parent that each one of them individually needs. We saw that with each of her kids in this episode, comforting and assuring Aemond, listening to Helena prattle on about bugs, and giving a slap to the face or a come to Jesus talk to Aegon to make him man up. Is that Basically, what he was trying to do? Come to Jesus? <laughs> King Jaehaerys. There's even some things that you can't get away with. Have we, you Sorry. Gotta, you got you you to at least care about what the small folk think, okay? <laughs> Basically, I think if Aegon had shittier parents who indulged instead of reprimanded his vicious streak, he could potentially be pretty cruel and awful. Same I think if Joffrey had been parented better, his parents had treated him the way Tyrion and Tywin did, perhaps he wouldn't have turned out so evil. Be curious to see what happens when Viserys inevitably dies, either from sickness, old age, or getting limbs cut off until he no longer has a body. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think... I, I I only get had a problem with people saying this is literally Joffrey. Look at him. He bullied his brother and he jerked off out a window. Like, this is a fucking <laughs> right. monster. Like. A monster in the making. No, the, come on. The potential's there. If, you know, you let him become selfish and thinking he can do anything and that it you can't is. touch me. Right. Yeah. I feel like every kid who's born into uh, a family with a ton of power has that potential. Yeah. Um, it's just how are, how are to they going to. Prick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how are they going to be raised? How are they going to see themselves? All that stuff. Sure. There's still lots of hot D to talk about. We'll be back right after the break. And now back to Hot D. Have a single correction this week. Kept it pretty clean, but we do have a correction from Chris from Harrisville, Rhode Island. I'd set the over and under to 50 for the number of emails you'll get on this, and I'll confidently take the over. But Maester Amon is at the wall while Allison's son is Amond. Uh mm-hmm. yeah, I 
I knew this, but like I was I was getting so many when I recorded a podcast, I was getting so many direct messages and like people notes uh, for email that I was kind of seeing on my phone that people are questioning this that I fucking forgot. And I preemptively got around it, but I could have just like, yeah, no, it's not aiming at the wall because it's aim on. But I feel like with the aiming, aiming, the demon, like there is a lot of. (laughs) Like you just oh, move really? that D around left to right, front and back, and it, people get confused. So you're right. Oh yeah, There's, and especially when you just hear it and you don't see the the word yes. spelled out. Yeah, because I, so, Some, I my at least one of my two watches I do with subtitles, so I'm aware of that stuff. But yeah, you could very easily be forgiven for thinking it is Amon. Yeah, that Amon. They the, some the Amon versus the Amon. It's it's how hard mm-hmm. to hit that D. The hot D. The hot D's causing yeah. trouble. Names. All about oh the hot God. D. It's all about. It all goes back to that. Uh, which will be the exciting kickoff to this week's Maester's Corner. Joining us once again on the Maester's Corner is Maester Anthony from the Double Dragon Podcast. Anthony, how are you doing this week? Doing really well. I uh, thought it was a really solid episode. Kind of a table setting episode. Yeah. Um, I know that it, it's sort of has gotten mixed reviews. Yeah, um, I'm I'm a big unapologetic fan because, again, I, and I noticed that I was listening to some of our other colleagues, it seems like if there is a divide, it seems like book fans who kind of know where things are going mm-hmm. and is just like have a appropriate amount of like, okay, this is about where we should be or not freaking out and people who are not book readers are kind of freaking yeah, yeah. out because it seems like oh my god this is so much and i've you, you feel like you've missed a lot but like yeah i've read the but there there are long periods of this history where kind of nothing happens you know and then yeah. it's it's uh, what, what's a soldier say about trench warfare it's mm-hmm. uh uh hours of boredom punctuated or it, yeah punctuated by brief seconds of intense terror and violence right yeah it's yeah, a lot yeah. like targaryen history well, I did like this episode, and I, I noticed an interesting theme that runs throughout it that I'll, I'll try to bring up in my section, but I think I think you go first this week. Yeah, uh, I, I don't have anything too earth-shaking. This is um, one, of the, one of the many things. You've always got lore masters and lore mistresses in, uh, in Westeros trying to figure out different mysteries in the book, you know, and sometimes you tease some of these things are not like earth shattering. Some, you know, not, not everything has to do with the core song of ice and fire. Right. But one of the, the, the side curiosities, the historians, the lore masters have been trying to figure out is those three eggs, those three fossilized eggs that Illyrio Montepas gifted to Danny uh-huh. yeah. in Pintos, you know, we saw Pintos and it, it kind of reminded me of this. Right. Where do those yeah. things come from? You know, again, it's not the world's biggest secret, but it's out there, and uh, we're going to try to it solve it. It has been kind of a subject of, of speculation yeah. over the years, without really a strong, you know, you know, smoking bullet answer. Exactly. Targaryens famously are stingy with their dragon eggs. You know, they know the power of the dragons. They want desperately to keep all those weapons in the family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how did some merchant in Pintos come across three of them? Are they artifacts from old Valeria? Was there some shady backroom right. deal done in, in the early days? Well, when Fire and Blood came out, we got a, a clue. One of Aegon the Conqueror's granddaughters was Reyna Targaryen. And the book, as it often does, doesn't write out and come out and say it. But mm. she took a woman as a lover, okay. uh, Elisa Farman. 
Now, Alyssa was the female version of Corliss Valerian. Uh, this took place. Uh, this is taking place about, you know, again, this is Jaharis. This is his granddaughter. Mm-hmm. This is taking place about 40, 50 years before House of the Dragon. Sure. And Alyssa was, again, like the female version of Corliss Valerian. She loved the sea. She loved sailing. Mm-hmm. But as frequently as a theme in this world, as a woman, there just was a lot of barriers to her being the kind of sea pirate adventurer that she wanted to be. Well, Raina and Alyssa were two fast friends, quote unquote, and became more over the years. The pair would often fly around in Raina's dragon Dreamfire while having their adventures and exploring and touring the realm. When Alyssa's fathers died, or Alyssa's father, not Alyssa's fathers, she only had the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, her brother took over the house and decided he was going to put an end to this unseemly affair and demanded that Raina leave their home on Fair Island and be gone forever. Alyssa decided that she wasn't going to be bossed around this way, and she fought her way off of Fair Island and took off with Raina on her ship, the Maiden's Fancy, followed her all the way back to Dragonstone, where Raina set up her household. And they were happy there for a time until Alyssa's wanderlust started calling to her once more. The problem, mm-hmm. all though, of these, all of these beautiful stories of romance tend not to end well in yeah, Martin's world. Right? Yeah, there's just there's just barriers to people being happy. Uh, this yeah. barrier was that she's been disinherited by her brother, who didn't appreciate <laughs> her fighting her way off of the island and okay. shirking her duties, and has cut her off of all of her funds. So she goes and asks her her uh, lover, the princess, uh, for money to build and provision a swift vessel so she could continue to explore the sunset seas. These are the Western Ocean uh, that no one's really ever crossed before. This would be the equivalent of uh, Columbus going to Isabel and say, I want some money right. to go sail west and to see if I can find the path through the Indies. Right. Which famously so, Arya wants to do. Right. Right. So Reyna. Uh, Wanted Alyssa by her side, and she denied this request, which unfortunately put a strain on their relationship. Now, a few years, three, four years go by, and Alyssa goes to ask Raina once again, and she says, hey, I already asked you to stay, but I'm not your master. If you want to go, go, but I'm not giving you any money. So Uh Alyssa left, but she left with three dragon eggs that she intended to sell in Essos to finance her sailing passions. She ended up selling all three to the Sea Lord of Bravos for a small fortune and then headed out to sea never to return. There's fascinating, tantalizing details about whether she did make the passage west, uh, so forth and so on. But you'll have to read Fire and Blood for those. Now, this pissed off Rhaenyra and the other Targaryens to no end. In fact, King Jaehaerys was so furious, he vowed he would track down and retrieve any egg or hunt down and kill any dragon hatchling as soon as it surfaced, vowing to Hmm. pursue them all the way to Yi Ti. If necessary, which is the Westerosi equivalent to China. He's going to go pretty far. pretty far away. But the dragon yeah. eggs just never turned up. They never surfaced. They never hatched. We never hear mm-hmm. anything more. Now, a lot of people have speculated these eggs came from the clutch. One of the, the clutches of Dreamfire, this dragon, uh, because she was a prolific layer of eggs. She had at least three clutches of fire and blood mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, and the books do not specifically say they're dream fires, but it makes a lot of sense because dream fire, one of the last clutches that she had laid was on Alyssa's uh, former home of fair Island. Also, right. Alyssa would be familiar to dream fire because she'd ridden on her back with uh, uh, Raina a lot of times, uh, which might've helped her out in the egg, uh, egg heist. Now, so far, we've visually seen seven dragons on House of the Dragons, and they've all looked very distinct from what we saw Drogon, Rhaegal, and Viserys. Danny's dragons looking, they all pretty much mm-hmm. look the same. They're all kind of palette swapped, color shifted, but they all have the same basic build. 
We had an unnamed dragon show up in this episode and almost roast Aemon Targaryen alive. Now, as far as we know, Dreamfire is riderless at this point in time. So it makes sense for that to be in the right. dragon pit. And if this turns out to be Dreamfire, it's interesting because it appears that the VFX crew on the House of the Dragon is using the exact same model for Dreamfire as they use for Drogon. Oh, very good. Very so good. we might get a better look at her if this is Dreamfire in future episodes nice. to come. But if true, it seems like Ryan Condal in the production is putting their thumb, maybe even Gurm himself, putting their thumbs on the side of the scales that says, yes, the Dreamfire egg theory is true. And that right. Dreamfire's eggs get passed some 250 years uh, yeah. before they're re-gifted to the Targaryens or stolen property back. Yeah, I love it. It's 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 too good not to be true. Yeah, um, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun, and I think it's one of those things as as a filmmaker, in this case, a television maker, you can kind of lean into that way, lean into that, right? Mm-hmm. And you can almost give a little bit of a nod to the to the lore hounds, right? Uh, it's it's literally I mean, an Easter egg yeah. in the form yes, of a dragon literally. egg, yeah. <laughs> or three dragon eggs, sure. it's three Easter eggs, yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm going to consider that gospel truth unless someone can convince me otherwise. What you got for us, Maester? Okay, so I found it really interesting how much bodily fluid was in this episode. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, you know, for for those of you who are thinking this is a weak episode, I would say go back and rewatch it. With this theme in mind, I, it's it's going to be interesting, I think, and entertaining entertaining on rewatch with the the theme in mind. So we saw the the birth and the afterbirth. Um, we saw we saw the same thing with blood and breast milk, and of course you got that great scene with Aegon masturbating. Which implies semen, right? I know you're not on Twitter, but the funniest meme I saw this week was someone on yeah. Twitter observing that it turns out. Aegon threw more kids out the window than Jamie Lannister. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, well, it's yeah. funny, but it's also from an ancient perspective, it's kind of how you would think about that. There were actually really strict reasons or really strict uh, prohibitions about what you could do with semen because people thought that it was just absolutely valuable, especially if you're connected to a bloodline. Right. What did so, people want to do with semen that you had to restrict its use? Well, I think that this is just probably uh, the source, uh, a very, very ancient source of of modern homophobia. I think that some uh. of these ancient taboos come come into the present and we don't really know where they come from. Um, but this is this is exactly the show that kind of presses those taboos um and and i i love this kind of this kind of stuff because so anyway i'm gonna suggest that the whole bodily fluid thing ties to the theme of parents and children and laris's little voiceover monologue i think that that really connects the dots for us so the key here is that laris tells us that blood was mixed into the mortar of Hall. Mm. And so if you're listening to this and you can correct me, uh, I, I'm, I'm absolutely interested in, in hearing it. Book at baldmove.com. I don't think that that's a book detail. I think that 
there are a lot of other reasons why Hall was meant to be cursed. But I think that the first introduction to the blood being mixed in with a mortar is in this scene with Laris. Do you, Aaron, do you know if if that detail is in Fire and Blood or? I noted it was on the wiki. It was on the wiki of Ice and Fire, but okay. I didn't see that it would. I I wasn't paying attention to where it well, was. Well, if it's on the to. wiki, it must come from somewhere. All right. Well, so some of but, those things are updated like as soon as the air the episode airs too. So. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, here's my point. My point is that in order to understand why that's the case and why that's a problem to have blood mixed in with the mortar, you have to go to this very ancient idea that, and this goes way, way back to like before even like notions of eternal life or at the afterlife or anything like that, that blood carried like a supernatural property. Like blood was like life itself. Blood carried life. It was life. And therefore it had to be mediated with ritual because if you used it improperly, it could curse you. Mm. If you use it properly, it could bring divine favor. So, so blood has this ancient supernatural connection. And I think that they're playing with that a little bit in this episode. So in order to get there, we kind of have to remember that this very ancient ethic of continuing your father's blood with progeny. Like this is sort of the major ethical thing to do in antiquity. Like that's we the see most that in the that, that's do. a credit sequence of House of Dragon is just that's perpetuating right. the literal flow of blood of your family. Yes. For a show that's, you know, that's be- built on a story about, you know, fire and blood, this it's absolutely crucial you continue your father's blood that eclipses any other life ethic that you do, especially if you're an oldest son. But even so, like we can kind of see why patricide and kin slain is kind of a taboo as well, because mm. if you kill your father, or you kill your brother, that limits your father's ability to continue the, the bloodline. Mm. And, um, and we see both of those in this episode, right? We see Laris kill both father and brother, and I think this is probably, in his mind, connected in some way to sort of the superstitions around Hall. Because even though they're superstitions, that's what people are going to blame it on, right? He's totally free and clear to do his dirty because everyone's going to blame it on this cursed castle. So it's almost like the curse is a self-fulfilling prophecy in this episode. Right. Right. Because of the superstition, he can then sort of hide behind it and he can do whatever dirty he wants to do. So, all right. In addition to this, many cultures thought that blood sort of had this supernatural life carrying uh, potency, but there were also prohibitions and taboos and rituals about other bodily fluids. And this is sort of brought out, I think in contrast between Aegon and uh, Renera in this episode, right? The, the two sort of claimants for the throne. And I think it really does sort of have a gender um, element to this. What do we see with Aegon? We see someone who's wantonly spilling the potential for his father's seed right out the window. <laughs> he's in plain view of everyone. Everyone who wants to look up at that window can see what he's doing. He's It's an act of sacrilege, right? All of that life-giving, potent bodily fluid is being treated like trash. And then what, what do we see with R- Renera? We see 
that she is almost shamed just for a bit of breast milk, right? She mm. she just she leaks a little bit in the council meeting, and all of a sudden she's like mortified, and people are, can't even look at her. Yes, yeah. people cannot even look at her because of because of this odd um, sort of gendered view of bodily fluid. So I, I think we see a major contrast between. Um, between Renera and with Aegon. In addition to the, all that, this is all connected to fathers and sons. It's all connected to you know parents and children. This here we see with Laris is this idea that children are not a blessing, rather they're a weakness. So Laris is taking the crucial ethic that really makes the ancient world function. And he's take he's almost taking the lifeblood of the ethical system of Westeros, and he's flipping it on its head. He's saying everyone around here is sober superstitious. They all believe that Heron Hall's curse. They all believe that you know you can you can run your progeny into the future, and that will help you cheat the grave. Right? That's how you live forever. You live on in the blood of your children and your grandchildren. And Lars is saying, nope, I don't think so. I think children are a weakness. And here's and I, I believe it so much that I'm going to be my father's weakness. And he ends up killing his own father. He's killing his brother. He, of course, you know, he's going to get all the land holdings, which, you know, that, that's advantageous to him. But I think he's undermining this absolute crucial ethic for Westeros. And that is children don't matter. Mm-hmm. It's not going to help you cheat the grave. Uh, this whole idea of being blessed and cursed by children, it's folly. And I think that that is sort of the key message that Laris is trying to get across. Also explains like why Alicent, you know, is, it's, it's horror. It's horrifying to her, not in just the, yeah. like it would be to us that he's killed his own father and brother. Right. But there's like the kin slaying. There's the uh-huh. extinguishing of your own line. There's a lot of ang- angles to it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And we see that in a lot of ancient, you know, ancient lore, um, you know, from that actually survives from the ancient world. We see this in Greek mythology. We see this in Norse mythology. Uh, we see this in the Bible. The, the idea of killing one's own father or killing one's own brother, um, this is absolutely taboo. And the way that this is sort of brought out into the Game of Thrones world is that we have the the story of the... What is it? The Rat King? What what was that yeah. story again? Yeah, the Rat King at the night the, at the night fort. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fun story, but it, it's sort of all about it's sort of instilling this taboo into young children, mm-hmm. you know, so the, the, they are absolutely afraid of killing fathers or kins or whatever, and but every now and again we will see that from time to time. Um, and Heron Hall, of course, is you know has, has a long history of people dying unnatural death. It sure does. Right. So anyway, I thought that was an interesting theme that they brought into this episode. And so if you do a rewatch, take a look for all the times that we see bodily fluid on screen. It's it's an interesting little Easter egg there. Uh, The true words of House Targaryen should be blood and semen. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Absolutely. Not fire or sire and blood. (laughs) Sire and blood. Very good. If uh, you you want to uh, avoid those type of dad puns... uh, uh, and 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 because I don't think Anthony trucks in that kind of low oh, type I, of no, behavior. We don't those, those are taboo over at Double Dragon. <laughs> where um, where where do you where do you find uh, where where do, where do people find you when you're not on the Maester's Corner here? 
Yeah, just uh, search for Double Dragon. Uh, uh, Stand up comic Steve Osborne and I cover the show every week. Um, and um, this last week we had uh, an NFL analyst on uh, to cover the, the mid-season and sort of uh, second half season preview. Um, and then, of course, we had uh, medievalist uh, Kavita Mudon Finn on to talk about um, the life of children in the medieval world. Um, so all that on Double Dragon. As always, thanks to Maester Anthony. We still have a few other lore questions to get to. Robert says, at first I thought the Laris as a warg theory was out there. But after <laughs> this episode, I'm convinced. There's wait. been so many rat shots. Wait, wait. Nah, sh- King Jaehaerys, okay. he's going to you're gonna have to hold shots. your tongue for a minute. I like it. And so, so many rat shots scurrying around the castle in key moments. Even Viserys notices one crawling over the fireplace this episode. I'm almost sure we'll get a later reveal this season that we'll get a montage of all of his rats. So... <laughs> Last week, uh, Anthony and I talked about this screwball theory that Laris is actually a green seer because he was born in Heron Hall, which oversees this very mystic woods that's full of green that's full of green seers or that's full of green men and carved faces, and that uh, there's this this conspicuous shots of the uh, Kingswood that has a uh, non-canonical weirwood tree in it and that he was prominently featured in front of that and he's well connected and he gets to hear all these these secrets so there is this idea that maybe he's got more than he's got supernatural powers to to harvest all this stuff uh, in service to his queen uh, so yeah maybe that's the other thing they're doing to these rats they're, they're suggesting that Laris is warging into them and seeing through their eyes his his full name is also Laris Willard Strong. So yeah, there could be something to it. Taming them rats. Mm-hmm. Seth D says a show watcher only. What's the significance of Viserys having ridden Valerian? Valerian was obviously the largest, most feared dragon in the realm, but Viserys rode him just once, and from how the ride is described, it was not the most impressive display. Was this lone ride enough for the lords of the realm to believe in Viserys as a leader? Or is this metaphor foreshadowing of his rule, inheriting something powerful but not doing anything of note? Riding the throne. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose um, it could be. It's tough. It's like it's like the great sports debates, you know. Uh, was Dan Marino one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, or did he was he was he just a flashy regular season guy because he never got that Super Bowl ring? Or was he just got a there glove once. salesman? Yeah. <laughs> Loves those isotoners. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think um, I guess I think the latter, you know, that like trying to do something impressive, like riding the biggest, baddest dragon, but you only get to take him in a three shaky circles around King's Landing before he lands and then dies a year later, never to be mm-hmm. ridden again. Is that so on one hand, you know, oh, my God, our king's most Targaryen of all time. He rode Aegon's Balerion, the biggest fucking baddest dragon. But the detractors can be like, yeah, that dragon, you know, he, it took three hours from the wake up and get out of his cave. And then he barely made it three times. Did he even make it? around? I think it's more like two and a half times. You know, I, I guess it's how you feel about Viserys. Yeah. And then why didn't Viserys take another dragon? Did he? I don't think he has dragon, right? No, he didn't. He didn't. It's not super common for dragon riders just just like to take another dragon. Really? Um, okay. In fact, I am struggling to think of a single canonical instance of that happening. Huh. Especially during peacetime, I wouldn't think it would be very necessary either. 
Right, right. Although to, the way he believes in that prophecy, you'd think that maybe he would he would try. But uh, yeah, also, he, also dragons are in short supply. He already was a dragon. He proved that he was a real dragon rider. And, you know, mm-hmm. is he going to take a hatchling from some of his kids or some of his cousins or nephews that, you know, might want to establish that? I don't know. Yeah. Matt has a quick question regarding the fireproof Targaryen theory. Isn't Bela half Targaryen through her mom? Wouldn't that affect her trying to immolate herself by dragon fire? Not sure if I've missed something. Well, maybe she's just not real blood of the dragon. You know? Who is Bela? Uh oh well, I think she, she, she I'm sorry, Matt meant Lena. Oh. Bela okay. is one of Elena's children. Yeah, she would be. Uh, half I think he just got confused. Targaryen. Thanks for that correction, though, because I didn't pick it up when I was compiling the email. Uh, yeah, she, so she's she's uh, half Targaryen through her mom, Rhaenys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if Targaryens are fireproof, and I had caught because I said, well, maybe they're only dragon fireproof. But yeah, we got a half Targaryen here just got burnt alive uh, on that mm. that prospect. Like I said, I think it's a bunch of bullshit. I think the Targaryen fireproof stuff is a meme. Why do they keep leaning into it? They'd be better to just like, if it's not true, put it to rest. So not everybody is fixated on it. Well, because so, so the Targaryens think it's true. The Targaryens 100% think it's true. Okay. So they're All constantly right. probably testing. And then when they do burn, not burn in fire, like I'm a fucking real Targaryen. And when they do get burnt by fire, it's kind of like if you ever read Tom eh, Wolf's The Right Stuff. Targaryen, yeah. The, the, if you've read Tom Wolfe's The Right Stuff book, like all the test pilots, when they're riding these barely functional rockets and cratering into the desert, every time one of their fallen brothers would 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 crater himself in, they would meet at this bar and talk about all the things that that guy did wrong. Well, you mm, probably didn't yeah. check this and you should have known that when you're flying this craft, when it starts getting the jinx, you should do this. That guy didn't have the right stuff mm-hmm. because God knows when we strap ourselves into Mark II of this rocket, we're not going to crater. We're going to live forever because we yeah. got the right stuff. So I think this Targaryen no fireproof Targaryen theory stuff. Yeah. Yes, you got it. You got it. They got the right stuff. They're not going to burn. Mm-hmm. Finally, we have Colton. Do we think that there's any implications to Rhaenyra's kids moving to Dragonstone and not being able to train or bond with their dragons, or do the dragons go with them? Uh, fun fact about Dragonstone: it's actually maybe the best place for dragons to roost. Has all these natural say. caves and cliffs. Uh, like there are at any one time several dragons that are roosting on Dragonstone. They're not all in the dragon pit. In fact, hmm. there's a master nice. conspiracy theory that says the Targaryens were tricked into putting their dragons in a dragon dome or the dragon pit because once they started storing them underground in this vast structure, seems like the dragons started getting kind of smaller and punier. You never had the big dragons like Balerion or Vagar. They got kind of big, like Heraxes and uh, Melis, but like once a dragon pit, they started starting to get kind of stunted and puny. So it might be a good thing, actually, for her to take her kids to Dragonstone. All right. Damon needs to get his kids there. Maybe that egg uh, will hatch. Also, where is Cyrax and Sea Smoke? We just, you know, the, the there wasn't enough time to see him. I mean, the she she just gave a birth. Uh, sounds like Lanor wants to get on Sea Smoke and go go ride one last time, and he's being denied the opportunity. But they're around, they're around and kicking. Okay, and that's going to do it for this episode of the feedback edition of Hot D. Of course, we'll be back in just a a few days uh, when the new episode, episode seven, drops on Sunday night. If you are a club member, you can watch our after show live and even participate in the instant talk portion of the instant take. 
Uh, but you got to be a club member. Support.baldmove.com if you want to find out more about that. Get ad-free feeds and other bonus content. Hot D at baldmove.com is how you get us in feedback, uh, how to get reach us, or how to get a chance to be in this feedback episode. Twitter.com slash baldmove is the best way to follow our releases and keep, in, uh, keep abreast of what all we're doing here. I encourage you, if you like our pulp coverage, uh, subscribe to Bald Move Pulp. Uh, you know, it, it wraps up all of our zombie and spaceship and dragon stuff. That's going to do it for this week. I can't wait to see uh, what becomes of Sunday night. I'm hoping that uh, the people that were kind of not on board with episode six will start to see that, eh, it'll, it'll be fine. But mm-hmm. uh, who knows? We'll see. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you Sunday night. Yeah.